Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and after a long hiatus, you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. This is interview episode number 37, featuring the world's only quit porn strategist, King David. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. Depressed, defeated, and hopeless. This is my story. That was me. That's how my porn addiction made me feel. Depressed because it went against everything I stood for as a man. Defeated because no matter how hard I tried, I could never escape it. Hopeless because I had accepted my fate as a porn addict. It was the thorn in my side, and I was going to live with it. Age nine. Back then, it was nothing crazy. Just photos from wallpaper apps of topless chicks with stickers covering their tits. For 99 cents, you can see the full picture. I can't tell you how much I wish I had a digital $1 bill so I could see it. At nine years old, there was no way for me to know what porn would do to my brain. That it would rewire it change it, take control of my subconscious mind, urges, cravings, triggers. Soon they had more control over me than my own thoughts. But I was curious and wanted to see more. Age 11. I still had no idea what sex was. Never had the talk. Didn't know why these photos made me feel the way they did. Soon I discovered internet porn and no longer needed a digital dollar. Porn is a hell of a drug and I was hooked. But then I was caught. Internet access was restricted and devices were locked down. Age 13. When I turned 13, I got a 3DS. And it had internet access. It was the perfect workaround. Parents would never suspect I could find porn on there. It was easy enough to clear the browser history. Even easier to say I was just using it for games. Sure, I couldn't watch videos on it. But photos were all I needed. All my brain needed. Age 14. Porn was an everyday occurrence, even multiple times a day. I'd watch it in my room, the bathroom, sometimes even on the family couch. Maybe that's what led to my next bust. 14 years old, I was caught once again. This time, the punishment was worse. No internet access unless I was on the computer with a screen where my parents could see. I had no other option than to stop. But that was a real challenge. I'd tell myself, I just have to stop watching it and not think about it. It'll be easy. But even then, the thought of quitting was a trigger. Within minutes, I went from I'm going to quit to masturbating in the shower. And it didn't take long for me to get back into graphic content. My addict brain wouldn't stay away from it. Addict brain, what's that? I'll tell you soon enough. I'd find nudes through APK downloaders by searching, get this, the word strawberries. Then I found incognito and VPNs. I knew which keywords to search on Instagram to find actual porn. Knew which apps had a backdoor into pornography. 
I even had a secret gallery app disguised as a calculator and would store photos and videos for when I didn't have internet access. I had backup plans. My backup plans had backup plans. And this went on for years as my addiction evolved and my addict brain grew stronger. Age 16. I liked a girl from church but never had the confidence to talk to her. Hmm, I wonder why. I couldn't get this chick to like me. I read articles and watched YouTube videos about game and pickup, learned how to read body language, how to pick up on the subtle cues and signs. But of course, it never worked with her. So I went after other girls, but not local girls. Strangers I met on an app called Whisper. One day, out of nowhere, I received my first nude. You mean girls will just show you them naked? Real girls, not chicks I have to Google? Soon, this became a habit. The thrill of sexting was unmatched, but it made my addiction worse, and it would continue to get worse. Age 17. I had a few flings back in the day. Chick from London I'd have sexy video calls with. Girl from Germany who would moan my name in Snapchat videos. One from Australia who had the nicest internet tits I'd ever seen, but I later found out she was a catfish. Even if there was a chick I liked, my attic brain couldn't help but turn it sexual. And the worst part, I got real good at getting nudes. It was a rush porn couldn't meet, one that grew stronger and stronger. I'd start with porn, chat a chick up, get photos from her, watch porn while I waited for another message, so on and so forth. I'd stay up until 3 a.m. most nights doing this. I knew I was just using these chicks for my own pleasure, and a few were legitimately interested in me. But I was in love with the girl from church. The girl I was lucky to get a snap from of her smiling. Lucky to get texted back within four hours of reaching out. Lucky to have a conversation with her that lasted longer than seven minutes in person. Lucky, lucky, lucky. I was a simp. A damn simp. Unbelievable. A simp, chronic masturbator, porn addict. A slave to my addict brain. I realized I had a serious problem. All this time, I knew what I was doing was wrong. Knew this isn't what a Christian should be doing. But it wasn't my faith that convicted me to quit. It was erectile dysfunction. That's right. At age 17, I couldn't get an erection without porn. Not like I was going to have sex before marriage or anything, because, you know, that was a sin. Sure, a new porn was a sin, but I really didn't care at that point. Something had to change. So for the first time ever, instead of typing porn into the search bar, I searched how to quit porn. And so my journey to freedom began. I read as many articles on the topic as possible, watched as many YouTube videos about quitting as I could find, I even read academic studies about porn does to the brain. I knew the methods, I knew the science, I knew how to quit, but no matter how hard I tried, no matter what I did, I could never go longer than a week without porn. Why? Because my addict brain wouldn't take no for an answer. If I wanted porn, it watched porn. Even if I told myself it was wrong, even believed it was wrong, that it was hurting me, and that porn could never make me happy, it didn't cure my problems. It made all of them worse. I was convinced something was wrong with me. I had accepted my porn addiction, accepted my life as a porn addict, accepted that there was no real way for me to quit. Depressed, defeated, hopeless. There was nothing I could do, and I was okay with that. Age 18, I was working, going to community college, and found a new church. That made it easier to fight my porn addiction, but the band-aid of busyness wasn't a real cure. Soon I got into my first real relationship. She was 20, turning 21. I was 18, turning 19. I didn't need porn as much now. Why would I? 
I had a woman. Months passed and our relationship got rocky. Because of my porn addiction, it was more about getting off with her than anything else. My addiction ruined our relationship. Age 19. Our relationship fell apart. I was devastated. She didn't care. After nine months of what I thought was a healthy relationship, she ended it. I became numb to emotions and fell back into porn addiction. Not like it went anywhere, though. I still watched it while we were dating, but it wasn't as frequent. And when I did, I felt even worse. It felt like I was cheating on her. Porn was the only way I knew how to cope. From my first crush to things ending with my first girlfriend, porn had always been there for me. And I hated myself. After having my heart broken, after losing a ton of weight, endurance, and stamina, after losing sight of my goals and wanting to give up, I knew something had to change. That something was my mentality. And change came just when I needed it to. This is how I escaped a relapse for the first time. It was a hot summer afternoon, and I just got back from the pool and needed a shower. And, of course, as part of my shower ritual, I was going to watch porn. At this point, it was automatic, ingrained into my subconscious mind. No second thought about it. I turned the shower on, sat on the toilet, and loaded up Pornhub. Then something happened that I'll never forget. A thought popped into my head that changed my life. You won't feel any different after you're done. Why even bother? For the first time in my entire life, I confronted my demon head on. Without a second thought, I stopped. I escaped a relapse. I had hope. I had a plan of action. The pieces were all coming together. Hope is a hell of a drug. Sure, I relapsed after that quite a few times, but I didn't let it stop me. Now I realized what I went wrong about porn addiction for all those years. I had all the pieces to the addiction puzzle. I just had to put them together. I had to rewire my brain off of porn, just like porn rewired my brain on porn. Age 20. After three years of trial and error, I broke my porn addiction. From depressed, defeated, and hopeless, to confident, porn-free, and living my best life ever. I gained the energy I needed to break free from the matrix of a dead-end job, dropped out of college, and broke away from my loser friends. I started my online business. I dated beautiful women. I gained back all the muscle mass I lost and more. But most importantly, I mastered my sexual energy and overcame my addict brain. Instead of it being the thing that destroyed me, I turned it into the force that allowed me to reach my goals. It's no longer something I fear. It no longer betrays me, no longer holds me captive. Even as I tell you this now, I can feel my energy flowing through me, from my soul to my lips to my mouth to your ears. You aren't just hearing my voice. You are experiencing the manifestation of my energy in the real world. This is called sexual transmutation. It's something I will teach you to destroy your urges, cravings, and eliminate triggers to change your life because it changed mine and all the lives of the men who've come to me for help. I'm not going to beat around the bush today. Pornography is evil. You might think that's a strong word to use in description of anything. So let's back up. Pornography is undoubtedly bad for us as men, and while surely it's bad for women as well, I'm not a woman, so I won't attempt to speak for their experience, though it seems to me that that's a conversation that also needs to be had. Like the story you just heard from this week's guest, I had my own journey with porn beginning when I was a boy. I would have seen my first adult images before I was in high school, 
perhaps even as early as 13 or 14, which was shocking when I realized it. Looking back now, I can see that porn robbed me of at least some of my drive, because the urge to procreate is what pushes boys out into the world to compete. If that energy is siphoned off into, as the joke goes, an old sock, what happens to the boy when he lacks the motivation to face the vital challenges that will make him a man? Some form of stunted growth, to be sure. It also distorted my perceptions of sex and romance. Sex and pornography is performative. The participants are actors, with scripted positions, stage lighting, expensive sets, and the confidence of knowing that any awkward moment will end up on the cutting room floor. In other words, it's polished, perfected, and professional. Real human sex between lovers is anything but, nor is it meant to be. But how is a boy supposed to know that when the only thing modeled for him is its opposite? And finally, there's the notion of bodies. Imagine being a young teenage boy, seeing the fully developed body of an adult male and wondering, do I have to be that to be desirable? That last question haunted me for years. I suspect it does for many men. Lest you think I'm alone in this, here are some statistics. According to NBC, porn is an estimated $97 billion industry worldwide with 12 billion of that in the U.S. alone. And those numbers are from 2015. So adjust accordingly. In 2019, the equivalent of nearly 6,650 centuries of porn was consumed on Pornhub, according to their own numbers. According to the British Board of Film Classification, the BBFC, in 2020, 50% of 11 to 13-year-olds 65% of 14- to 15-year-olds and 78% of 16- to 17-year-olds reported having seen pornography in some way. According to a survey by the research company Savanta Comrez in 2020, 38% of women under the age of 40 have experienced unwanted slapping, choking, gagging, or spitting during consensual intercourse. This is probably because a UK survey in 2016 found that 53% of boys and 39% of girls reported believing that pornography was a realistic depiction of sex. And in that same BBFC 2020 survey, approximately 45% of teens who consumed porn did so in part to learn about sex. So, in just a short time, we've learned that pornography brings violence into the concept of sex for teenagers, and I don't think I'm alone in noting that for me as a boy, It affected my drive to engage with life, my notions of what it meant to connect sexually with my partner, and what love, lust, and desire were for, all to the tune of more than $100 billion worldwide. Are the people who produce and propagate porn unaware of this? Of course not. They know the effects and do it anyway, for money. That's called greed, which is a sin. Does a sin inflated to an industrial scale equate to evil? I think it comes pretty close. Now consider the possibility that such things are propagated because they cause harm, even if only by a few bad actors, injecting poison into the body of society, like a serpent. All this helps lend context to my guest this week. His name is King David, and as I said in the introduction, he's the world's only quit-porn strategist. He's a young man with a big mission to burn down the porn industry, and I honor any man who chooses a purpose 
far beyond the seeming capability of a single individual, for nobility is in the trying. As you heard in the introduction, his story with porn like mine dates back to his teenage years and before, and though he's out of his teens now, every year more and more young men are still discovering the world of porn, a world with few exits. Those exits are what King David aims to provide, not through men looking outward, but within, addressing their need for porn and its origins, in the hopes of starving the beast one customer at a time, and laying one more brick in the foundation of righteous men in the Renaissance. In our conversation, we discussed how King David was full-on cancelled in 2020, and how that led to his personal transformation. The question of whether it's possible to be mad at God, the nature of what it means to have inner gifts, the importance of not making your struggle your identity, and what it means to taste the hedonic treadmill. These are not easy conversations, and they're not meant to be. Shame is a real force in our lives as men, and a powerful controlling one. Many men feel shame about past porn usage and current, choosing to keep it in the shadows. That is understandable. But we as men must have the courage to bring this subject into the light, not as something either King David or I point the finger and say you shouldn't do. Rather, we offer an encouragement to all of us as a community to stop doing it together, as men. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, the world's only quit porn strategist, King David. King David, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Will. I've been looking forward to it, like really looking forward to it. That's what I, that's what I like to hear because that means uh, there's a bunch of good stuff for for us to talk about. And you know, I'll just start off by saying, like, I almost wish we didn't have to have this conversation. But the reality is that yeah. porn is an enormous problem. It's an enormous problem, and I think and and. The more that I look into it, the more of a problem it is and the more widespread it is through dating and relationships and sexuality and also now even in culture just as a whole. So I think there's a lot for us to dive into right there. Oh, yeah. No, there's there's unfortunately way too many dots that we'll be able to connect that you would hope you wouldn't be able to, but they're all there. They're all, yeah, it's, it's a rabbit hole. And it's one that, like you said, starting off, right? We wish we didn't have to have this conversation. I wish this wasn't my job. I'm also yeah. glad that it is because I love the work that I do. Um, I just wait for the day when my work is no longer necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you said that you want to, uh, was it burn the porn industry down? Yeah, Something I want like to that? burn the porn industry down, man. That's the ultimate goal, to render myself useless one day. I think, I, I mean, I think that's really great. I mean, I think that's, you have to set you have to set an impossible goal because that's what keeps, and then for me, my own personal mission keeps me oriented through so much chaos and it's almost an unattainable goal, but that's, that's part of the fun of it. If that's the right way of putting it, like to say that, you know, I hope I achieve this in my lifetime, but it gives me something to always strive forward towards. Right. Well, it's also one of those things that it's so exciting, right? Because other men can now rally behind me on that because they know Mm -hmm. that a, it's either directly damaged or influenced their lives or someone they love, or whatever it may be, and they see that this tremendous evil, and then they know, like, yes, it does need to be burned down. Yes, it does need to be destroyed. So they're almost able to, like, channel that passion and then use me as a vessel to rally behind and be like, yeah, I want to join you on this cause, which is so, so cool. And it's also great, too, right, when I work with people to use that as an inspiration for them. 
because they're like, mm-hmm. yes, I want to burn the porn industry down with you. And first that requires for them to burn the desire to watch porn out from within themselves. Mm-hmm. You used an important word. You used the word evil. And that's a word that makes a lot of people, and I don't think this is a bad thing, but it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. But I know that uh, you and I are both Christian men and you're very open about your faith and so am I for that matter. So let's let's just start by talking about this word evil and what you mean, because you know there are a lot of people that interpret that word lots of different ways. It gets thrown around very casually, but you know, I, I have a very specific meaning when I use it, and I think it's important to clarify that term before we start talking about what porn is under the context of evil. Right. Well, it may even be worth uh, bringing to attention, right, that when I say porn is evil, I'm explicitly referring to pornographic material and the industry that is creating it as evil. Not, mm, okay. that the, not that a man's porn addiction is evil, unless it's unrepentant, unless he's not trying to remove that from his life. If he is totally fine with being addicted to porn, would I go as far as to say as he is evil? Eh, gray area, right? But right. yeah, so porn is evil, not necessarily the indulgence in it, unless it's just full on like, this is what I do. It's totally fine. Uh, you don't even get me started on the, oh, it's fine and healthy justification. Um, yeah. Reduces prostate cancer and helps you sleep. and. <laughs> They're they're specifically referring to orgasm when they say that. And the tricky part is they do the studies on orgasm when you have sex, not nearly as much as when they do uh, studies on when you have an orgasm from porn. I mm. have my oh, own wow. little hypothesis or hypothesis that I've dove into to go as far as to say that a porn-induced orgasm is more intense than one from just normal sex, right? And part of that's because we have to look at what's going on inside the male brain when they're watching porn, um, specifically referring to like the Coolidge effect or novelty. So every single time you look at a pornographic image, you're getting a hit of dopamine. And then the next one, another hit, another hit, another hit, right? This would essentially be used in primal times to drive a man to then procreate. Because mm-hmm. our two biggest driving forces is, as people is to stay alive or for our genes to stay alive, right? So dopamine is the motivational force to make that happen. You also have dopamine released on orgasm to make you realize, hey, I want to do that again, which just reinforces the pattern of either watching porn or having sex. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the, the neurotransmitters, all that fun stuff, especially dopamine, that can get very tricky. Uh, total side tangent too, right? Like mm-hmm. I hate when people talk about dopamine detoxes. I understand the validity behind them, right? Because if you want to get really technical, this screen is emitting blue light and that blue light is giving me more dopamine. I've got an LED mm-hmm. light shining on me, which is why I look so good right now. That's giving of me course. more dopamine than necessary. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so too much dopamine, too much of anything is a bad thing. Yeah. But when people are like full blown, oh, I want to cut all dopamine out. And then they're like, oh, I'm so depressed or I have no motivation to the extent where they're also wanting to get rid of dopamine from like a healthy source. Like you should be getting dopamine when you eat your food because you're, mm-hmm. you want to stay alive. You should be getting dopamine when you're doing something that you're passionate about. Things mm-hmm. like that. Um, yeah. So that's just a little side dopamine tangent, right? But to circle back mm-hmm. to porn being evil. Um, what do I mean by that? That is yeah. a great question. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's, see, 
it 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 affects men and and women. That's another thing that has been recently or not recently, but more and more often it's brought to my attention right? it's that women are struggling with porn addiction. And if mm. you think as a man, the shame of dealing with porn is bad for a woman, it's unimaginable, right? Because mm-hmm. no one talks about porn addiction with women. I don't even talk about porn addiction with women. Uh, one reason, because I don't have any direct experience with that. So I don't have a firsthand resource that I can draw upon. But I will say this, one day I do want to have something that women can use that's created by me, ideally in collaboration with someone else, preferably a woman. Um, but porn being evil and how it affects men specifically, I just want to draw attention. Yes, there are women that have mm-hmm. porn addictions and that's terrible. Very, very And sad. I want to talk about that in a minute, but let's talk about, let's, let's continue on the topic okay. wrong. Cause I do want to get to women and porn addiction. Cause I've never heard of that before. And I'm trying, I'm struggling to figure it out from a, I guess you might say an evolutionary biological standpoint, but we'll get there. Right. For sure. Right. Um, right. So porn being evil and how it affects men. One of the things that I often talk about is like energy. And for a lot of dudes, that can be hard to wrap their head around. And I would go as far as to say that it's difficult for a man to understand the concept of energy or to feel energy, to feel masculine energy or sexual energy, purely because their sexual and or masculine energy is so diluted by porn, right? Because I know for myself that this concept of energy, I would not have been able to comprehend back when I was a porn addict. I wouldn't even been able to feel that How long that ago thing. was that, by the way? Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. How long ago um, were you a porn addict? So how long have you been at this? I'm going to be, this actually might be my first official age drop. I'm going to be 22 in late January. Oh, wow. And, You're younger than I expected. Right, yeah, no, I get that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I bet. It's the beard. It's I get that a lot. Yeah, no, it is a good thing. Until I get older than that. Then. I think. <laughs> no, it's more than that. I think it's your, I think it's your poise, and I think it's the way that you speak, and the way that, in the way that you present yourself with, you know, such a, such a presence and such confidence that, to me, demonstrates that you have been through much. Well, not that you haven't been through a lot, but I, that, that demonstrates you've really accomplished something, and it's unusual for men of, of 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 such a young age to have that presence about them. Let's put it that way. Right. No. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> And even on that too, right? That's one reason why I'm so adamant on helping young guys quit porn, which we can dive into. Yeah. So yeah, how long ago was it when I was porn addict? Uh, let's say, I don't remember specifically. Like I like to tell people like, you'll know that you're no longer addicted to porn when you can't even recall the last time it was. But it would definitely right. would have been, I think the last few bouts I had with it was probably early 2020. Probably okay. early 2020. So, okay, cool. So you've been, right. you've been like, you, this has been something that you've had, you've had a bit of time in like 2020 was such a big shift for so many men and that oh, me as yeah. well, like, that's where the Renaissance of men came from. Something that's a whole other set of topics. What came, what came out of 2020 for a lot of <laughs> dude, us? Dude, 2020, man, that was a, that was an interesting year. It definitely was my birth into this. Like, so if you want to get like really so, so I, my first introduction to the Manosphere was back in 2015. I actually started oh, wow. writing for a blog about masculinity right before I turned 16. So I was born in 2000. Wow. So tail end of 15th year of life, I was already writing about masculinity. Granted, it was more of the soft side of masculinity. Like at that time, sure. I was a very big proponent of like men cry too. And mm-hmm. of course, not to the extent of like how some people will position it where it's just express your emotions whenever you feel the need. I always knew that emotional control is a necessary component of masculinity. 
but it was right. more so like I wanted to raise awareness to like, hey, guys have emotions too. And a lot of that, sure, that can be inspired, right? Like I was 15, almost 16 years old. I myself was going through a lot of emotions, right? Mm -hmm. um, with age and all that fun stuff. And then also I just recognize that as a man, I do tend to be more emotional. I'm very mm -hmm. thoughtful, um, which has which has so many benefits in my line of work, right? And that's one thing that I love to hear yeah. from guys is they're always, David, you just get this. When I read your story, it's like I'm reading my own. Or yeah. they, you know, they like working with me because I don't I don't judge, right? Why why would I do that? I don't want to make their situation worse. No. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, back to porn is evil. Porn is evil. How yeah, so? We're talking about energy. Right, energy. So when I say energy, I there's there's multiple different kinds. Um, like if you want to get Pat Stedman energy, right? We're talking about <laughs> shifts of consciousness, uh, people changing and going on their self development journey. Yeah, no, I love Pat too. Such a good dude. Such a yeah. good dude. Um, so you have like conscious energy, things that you feel when other people are shifting, right? Like. I don't know if you saw, but like all the Twitter dude bros were talking like, did you feel that shift of energy the other night? And like everyone yeah. was like, yeah, man, it was giving me headaches. It was so intense. <laughs> I was kind of even like, what? Like what's going on? Like I know there was yeah. two weeks ago or two weeks ago, last week I had great energy and I knew many other mm -hmm. people that did as well. Um, but as far as porn goes in affecting your energy, one thing that it's very esoteric, a lot of the concepts that I kind of bring into this. Um, mm -hmm. But with with it, right, you've got dudes who are quite literally spilling their life force yeah. to porn. You know, you want to think, right, if we're going to take this down the religious route, we were created in the image of God. God created everything we know. So by being created in the image of a creator, we as men are also creators. Right. So we have an, mm -hmm. our, our seed is a necessary component in creating new life mm -hmm. or bringing life into the world. I think that's a more accurate way to put it, bringing life into the world. And instead of using that life energy or sexual energy or whatever you want to call it as a motivating force to go out and find a woman to then build a family, to then raise strong sons and daughters, you've got dudes who, oh, I'm horny. I want to go watch porn. Mm -hmm. um, and we could even dive into that too, right? Like I, I tweet this often. You don't watch porn because you're horny. You watch porn because you're hurting. And there mm. have been times that I have told dudes that in one call where I'll say, hey, look, when you get the urge to watch porn, you need to ask yourself, why do I want to watch it? And that you need to really dive into that feeling. And I've had people that they'll ask themselves that question a few times and they realize like, See, okay, so yeah, I don't actually watch porn because I'm horny. I watch porn because I'm stressed or I'm anxious. And then they start to deal with that stress and anxiety. And all of a sudden they go from relapsing every two to three days to relapsing once every 14 to 20 days, which mm -hmm. is a tremendous improvement all because of one mental shift. Yep. So yeah, the Twitter gurus, they say all the time, mindset is everything. <laughs> mm -hmm. You got to be like fourth dimension consciousness going into fifth dimension consciousness to really accept that because a lot of people oh, mindset's everything you just give me the hacks to do it like no you really need to hone in your mindset and i focus a lot on mindset in my coaching and in my master class and in the content that i produce right because mm -hmm. if anything i've had so much of a mindset shift over the past few years myself 
right? Especially with minds like looking at things like sovereignty um, mm-hmm. in a big way, a big mindset shift for me, which for a lot of people can be a black pill, but for me, it's more of a white pill. And I say that in context of like, you want to like, look at like, look at what the FDA approves. This is good. And then you actually look at what's inside and it's filled with a bunch of terrible chemicals that if you actually take it down to what it really is, it will kill you. And Mm -hmm. I'm not just talking about the thing in context of that. I'm talking about like a lot of different things the FDA gets their hands on. And for a lot of, right, (laughs) right, whatever you want to call it. Survive Um, the jibe. Yeah. Hey, so far so good, man. I'm a pure blood. I'm proud to say it. (laughs) Me too. Non-GMO human. Yes. Yes. There's a lot of rabbit holes on that one. Mm. Um, But like I was saying, a lot of people like, oh no, if everything that's being produced by big corporations or big pharma or big food is garbage and so much of what you can obtain, like, like cheap food, for instance, is so terrible for you. And mm-hmm. a lot of people, woe is me, I can't afford the good stuff. But then for me, it's like that gives me more fire to then work harder to grow my business because I want to mm-hmm. be a healthy guy. I want to have mental and physical energy. And I want to know that I am in good health. And if that means that I have to spend extra money on the good steak or the good potatoes or whatever it is, then I'm going to work harder to make sure that I can afford that. Mm-hmm. You know, and then even raise that conscious awareness among my friends. Like, sure, do I still go to like McDonald's every once in a while? Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, the last time I had McDonald's the a few evenings ago, I woke up and like I could tell in my brain that I had just eaten a bunch of junk food. Like I could physically yeah. feel the cloudiness, the fogginess in my head. You know, yeah. seed oils. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's well, it's it's crazy. But for me, right, like that's motivation. I need to work harder to pursue those things. Well, that's just, I mean, that that's, there's so much in there just about the McDonald's point. Like just to start, just to throw this out there, like that food is literally trying to kill you. Like it's, it's not yeah. even, it's the, first of all, it's not like to call it food is to be generous, but you know, realistically anything from, from McDonald's is, is actively trying to murder you from the, from the inside right. out if you want to be, but the energy conversation and the mindset conversation right down to, um, the point about, you know, you just get it and you're telling men's stories. I think one of the things that isn't really well understood is, is not all men, you know, you, you mentioned the dude bros on Twitter talking about energy. <laughs> You know, and that's a thing. That's a thing. And right. I, I think that there are some men that are very wired to engage with their world, let's say very physically. You know, mm-hmm. they're 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 wired to engage with the world with their hands and their minds and 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 to really like get in there and make a physical impact. And I think that there's a, there's perhaps even the other another half of men that are wired to engage with the world emotionally. And I, I find that there's a lot of judgment back and forth between those two groups of men. And what I'm always trying to tell these guys is, no, you guys have a lot to learn from each other. One is not right. better than the other. You know, you have to, you have a lot to teach each other because what we're really trying to do as men is knit those two halves of ourselves together. And so I think that there are many men in this Twitter space that are, that are more, we'll say emotionally oriented, let's say feeling oriented. That are right. more feeling oriented, and by feeling I mean intuition and emotions, not just like my feels. You know what I mean? But like right. this inner sense oriented. 
that I think that they're very they can be very underserved by a lot of teachings of the quote unquote manosphere that seems to judge them very harshly. It's like no, this is just a different kind of man that you need. I mean, that was me, right? This is another man that that's worth learning to understand because he has something to teach you as you have something to teach him. And this is how brotherhood develops. So I, I get exactly what you're saying that there are men who will need who will be more feeling oriented who absolutely get what you have to say instantly, like, oh, I'm, I'm hurting. That helps me understand what I'm actually going through versus just being horny. Right. Well, and the tricky part too, right, is you'll have dudes that they're consuming so much porn that they, it because it is a drug. Uh, and I yeah. mean that like literally in the fullest sense. They've yeah. done brain scans on dudes that have, you know, what would be a porn-induced orgasm. And don't, quote me exactly but last time i checked i'm pretty sure they said that an orgasm induced by porn is on par with the chemical release in your brain from a shot of heroin and we all know how bad heroin is so it's very much so a drug so you've got dudes that are consuming so much that they are they're numbing themselves emotionally and energetically Uh Uh, especially emotionally right because the way that i the way that i teach it to guys is Yes, sometimes it will stem from a legitimate want to uh, see a naked woman, right? And that's just a male desire. We've all got it. We all enjoy it. And we're supposed to enjoy it in proper context. Porn is not that context. But to the emotional side of things, more often than not, like 99 times out of 100 for, for guys, it's going to be they are stressed, they are anxious, they're depressed about something, they're hurting. They want to feel empowered. And sometimes for some dudes, it's just they've had a really good day and they don't realize it, but they're chasing dopamine. And by the end of the day, they want even more. They want the Mm. icing on top. So Mm. with so much porn that's being consumed, instead of them think they turn, oh yeah, I'm aroused. I have a high sex drive. That was one of my justifications. Um, But no, you're, you're not dealing with your emotions. You're not right. taking the time to sit down and open up a journal and write out what you're going through. And I understand that for some guys, that's not going to do anything for them. Mm-hmm. Some dudes are not going to get anything out of a journal session. Some dudes may not get anything out of having a heart-to-heart conversation with a homie. Um, I know for mm-hmm. myself, those are two of my go-tos. If I'm stressed, I'm opening up my journal and I'm writing stuff down. And if that doesn't help, I'm going to go confide in my trusted friends, right? Because... Mm-hmm. I know they're going to be able to help me through that, especially Mm -hmm. people that have walked through things with me because it's not only are they going to give me good advice, but they're going to be able to give me advice and clarity based off of their knowledge of things that I've already gone through, which Mm -hmm. I think is super important for guys to be aware of that. Like, I don't ask for business advice from people that have no idea how to run a business. I don't ask for religious advice from someone who is an atheist. Right. You know, or even to someone who is like really struggling. You know, if anything, I'm supposed to be the one who's giving advice in circumstances like that. So to to the the larger point that you brought up, right? Like the, there's that divide between the dudes who are emotional and they're ostracized, and then the dudes who are more physical, more go get them that are then ostracized, right? Because it's like trying to find what's the happy medium, what's the balance there. For some right. people, it's not a matter of balance. It's more a matter of accepting. Um, I had to accept my emotional nature before I was mm-hmm. able to really dive into my more strong, hard-headed, like I'm going to say it how it is nature. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially with like, you know, writing a tweet. It's so easy. But 
I'm much more, this is how it is. If I'm going to be controversial, then so be it. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, with long form content, I'm actually going to dive in and explain things. Also, given the circumstances, if I'm talking like head to head with someone who does not get my ideologies or they don't get my religious takes, then I'm at the point, man, where with my energy, I'm protective of it enough that I'm, I'm not even going to entertain those conversations. Right, uh, so. And I know there's plenty of people, oh, well, I still have friends that are so-and-so. At the end of the day, if their ideologies do not respect me and who I am, then I'm not going to entertain them, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's so much, um, you know, with either what the left proposes or feminism or what have you, that's, so, that's not just anti-man, but it's going to be anti-David. It's going to be anti-me one way or another. Mm-hmm. Because they brainwash themselves in that regard. Um, so am I, what, am, and what am I effectively saying? I don't really have liberal friends. <laughs> right, sure. Me you know, um, and it's not because I dislike those people. It's because I don't want to get frustrated or mad in a conversation and then waste my energy, right? Mm-hmm. I, one day, and, and I guess, well, let, let, me, let me phrase it like this. With porn, I've talked to a lot of different dudes from a lot of different backgrounds. I've talked to dudes who want to quit porn for religious reasons and explicitly religious reasons. I've talked to dudes who want to quit porn so they can get rid of ED so they can go back to hookup game. Do I mm-hmm. endorse their hookup stuff? No, not at all. I think that's terrible. And I would even interject bits in the conversation like, hey, this is just as bad for your energy as porn is. What are you doing? But, you know, I guess in that regard, that's I, I so I do entertain people that don't align with me. It's just what is my energy directing me towards where is God pointing me and what conversations need to be had to help people. Right. Cause that, like mm-hmm. you, for instance, your calling clearly is to talk to guys and get the nitty gritty out on the table and have those necessary conversations from mm-hmm. multiple, multiple different angles, right. Mm-hmm. To the point where you've had Christians like Michael Foster to pagans like Jack Donovan. And mm-hmm. great conversations. And that's one reason why I was so excited to be on the podcast is because I listen to you when I'm going from point A to point B in the car. <laughs> Thank you. So you've pursued your gift. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, the good Lord has given me the gift of, you're welcome, by the way. For mm-hmm. whatever reason, the Lord has given me the gift of helping dudes quit porn. Does it make sense? Does it need to make sense? Does it get me out of bed in the morning? Oh, yeah. I love doing what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- yeah, emotion, physicality, back to that. I, I really want to <laughs> connect the dots here. Um, yeah, when I quit porn, going outside and being in nature was no longer just something that I did. It is ne- when I do it intentionally, it is now a means for me to be closer to God, right? Because for me, what better way to connect with the creator than to be in creation, right? So when the weather's nice, I go out in the woods, no shoes, no shirt, nice cigar, soaking up the sun rays, hairs down. Because for me, the more I can connect to nature, the more I can connect to God. And mm-hmm. it's not just that experience, but I'm also in open dialogue. I'm having a personal heartfelt conversation, a one-on-one. If I'm mad, I'm going to tell God out, like, this is what I'm mad about. And there have even been times I've told God, like, hey, I am mad at you. 
And I made like mm. I wanted to make an important distinction. Like I never I always make it very clear. I like to make things clear to God. I tell him, I don't resent you by any means, but sure. I'm mad with you. But that's mm-hmm. always fit, followed up with the, but I know you're going to use this, but right now I'm still mad that you're using this. You know? I, I want to, what is it that, are you actually mad at God or are you mad at circumstances that, because that's what I want, you know, it's like, is, is it possible? Like, I suppose you can be, if you're a man of faith, I suppose you can be mad at God, but my sense of that is like, it's like totally counterproductive. Like I can be mad. How can I be right. mad at God? Because I've been through enough circumstances in my life where it's like something happened that I didn't want it to happen, but it turned out to be like the gateway to something awesome happening later. Right. So it's like, is, it, is that what you're mad at? Just so this from my own understanding. So I was canceled in July of 2020. Lost my job, oh, got wow. kicked out of two churches. Uh, because I wrote some tweets that the liberals in my church did not like, and they went on a full-on social media campaign to like, yeah, defamation, shit talk me, fabricated stories, uh, all because I made (laughs) sexist, misogynistic tweets. (laughs) What did you say? Okay, what did you say? uh, Cheers to you, sir, for being canceled. You look good for being dead. (laughs) Cheers, tall glass of water. Yeah, exactly. I can't, dude, I can't even remember like exactly what I said. I know I was talking about sexual dynamics and sexual polarity. And one of the points I was making, like even if a woman is super masculine and a man is super feminine, then the masculine and feminine polarity is going to reverse and fix itself when they actually do have sex. That was the extent of what I said, uh, which I like explained to people and they're like, yeah, I agree with you, but you said it in a really terrible way. I guess I use curse words. I don't know. Apparently Christians aren't supposed to do that. (laughs) Yeah, but that's hardly a reason to cancel somebody. Like, come on. That sounds like an excuse to me. Yeah. I like what you said. I just don't like the way you said it, so we're canceling you. Well, That's basically how you get canceled these days. Yeah, the tone police thing. But I mean, like, I guess it it would make, it makes sense to me because really in the Christian church or in public in general, like you just can't talk. You can talk about men. You can talk about men if you talk about them in a negative way, right? You can't, I, I don't think you can even talk about women in a, a man can't talk about a woman even in a positive way. Like you're just supposed to not have the word woman in your mouth. You know, obviously you can't say anything negative about, about women. And if you say something positive, you know, if it's anything counter from the narrative, like you can't tell some women like that's a really nice dress because in some environments that could be considered sexual harassment. So the general rule is don't speak about women at all if you're a man. You can speak about men, uh, you can speak about men if you're a man, but you can only speak about them and yourself in negative terms. To say anything positive about men is what's forbidden. You just can't do that. And so, um, and so to speak about male, female, dynamics in any sort of way that's attempting to be honest, neither positive nor negative, is just an immediate invitation to make everyone uncomfortable. And if you if you throw a curse word in that because you're frustrated or because you're angry, you know, that immediately sets off the little bunny rabbits like, no, we can't handle truth and bad words. <laughs> and they take off. Right. And it's so funny, man, because when I wrote that tweet, I specifically remember um the moments the leading up my to life. it. I remember thinking to myself, I want this tweet to trigger people. I wanted it to make people oh. mad. Okay. And lo and behold, <laughs> it made people mad, man. It made Wish people granted. mad. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> See, so, and I, I tie that together with what you mean, like, oh, like, are you actually mad with God? That's a good question. Am I? Yeah. 
it's I think it's more so <laughs> anger at the circumstances and then being in questioning why God allowed those things. But <laughs> well, I only you asked for <laughs> <laughs> Right. And I say I say only questioning why would God allow this thing to then be followed up with I don't need to know why he allowed it. I know it's going to right. be to his benefit somehow. Yes. Yes. Some way it's going to be, bring glory to God. Because I remember after that week happened, right? Because my social life was effectively like uprooted from that point. Um, mm. And I went to the woods. And, th- and I think this was my first like really like spiritual experience out in nature. I went to the, well, mm. I didn't go to the woods. I went to a park and I sat at a park bench for a lot of hours throughout the day, right? But I had mm-hmm. my Bible with me and I had my journal with me and I had my pens with me. And at this point, I didn't want to like do a Bible study or anything. I just wanted words of comfort. Um, because like I had expressed frustration, I had expressed hurt in those moments to God. And I was like, I need you to say something to me. Cause I know there are people that have heard, you know, God's audible voice. I haven't, I'm okay with that. Mm. But I had my Bible, which is the word of God. So I set it down on the table and I prayed, I said, God, I have no idea what to read, but I want you to show me what to read. And mm. I opened the Bible up and then the wind started blowing the pages, man. <laughs> Back so and forth. And then until the wind finally settled, it took me to verses in Isaiah 48, where it says that vengeance is mine. Revenge is for the Lord's. He wow. will do what he needs to do to make things right. Uh, and then, of course, it took me to the Psalms where David is lamenting, just crying out in pain. And so, so many things were validated, right? Because as a man, you go through something like that. You're kicked out of your social circles. Churches tell you that you're no longer able to participate in certain events because of something you said online. Uh, my only source of income at the time was stripped away from me. And almost, and you know what? Thank God. I was only making $10 an hour and I worked mm. there for three and a half years. I could run mm. that store. Um, I, I should have been a manager, but I wasn't because it was a family owned business. So, so many blessings, right. blessings tucked away in these things, right? But I did not know why it happened. I did not know how God was going to use it. But I knew he was going to. And I also knew that because I had lost my job, canceled at the ripe age of 20. 20? Yeah, July 2020. Yeah, I was 20 then. That Canceled at 20. Yeah, I realized I need, to, I need to make money online. And hmm. Will, here we are having a conversation. Right? Yeah. That canceling cornerstone, it got me here, man. We would not be on this podcast right now if the Lord did not say, I'm going to shake this guy's life up a little bit. Yeah, you got zeroed out, right? Like That's what Rolo Tomasi calls it. You get zeroed out and you, you sort of, I mean, that's a really, I mean, usually the way that he says is that men get zeroed out from like divorce and stuff like that. You know, they get, you know, because of the yeah. whole hypergamy thing and whatever. But like what really happened is you got knocked back down to square one and you had to rebuild from there. And you're talking about like mindset and energy, like that's a mindset thing. Because you looked at right. that and that's faith, you know, it's like you looked at that as an opportunity to be like, okay, all right, well, I'm going to rebuild from here. And you believed in yourself enough to do it, which is equally unusual. Like, no wonder, no wonder you get it. You know, guys will listen like, oh, you've been through your, you've been through the fire and, and you pivoted, right? Is that's the entrepreneur term. But yeah, right. so like, were you actually like mad at God or were you like, damn it, I got what I wanted. Uh, you pushed the big red button on your life. Uh, I mean, there have been many times throughout my life where there like m- many 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 such cases where things have happened many such that's cases. like god 
What in the world? Why on earth is this happening? So actual anger at God, maybe that's not the right way to put it, but in Mm -hmm. those moments, I knew I was angry. And what better individual, what better entity, what better being than the creator of the universe who Mm -hmm. through his son, Jesus Christ, I have a personal relationship with than to bring that hurt and that pain to. Because my whole thing is, if I am going to have a personal relationship with the son of God, then I need to communicate with him like he is a person. And healthy communication, like if I was mad at you about something, the right thing to do, of course, after some of the heat blows over, would then be to raise, hey, Will, I'm mad at you because you subtweeted me the other day. I don't Mm. appreciate that. The healthy thing to do would be to communicate that so that restoration can come and so that relationship can deepen. There are a lot of people, and we can even tie this back into porn, right? A lot of dudes, they relapse, they're ashamed, they're guilty, and they do not talk to God about it. How can Mm. I step in God's presence when I've committed this sin? Not only is in this, right? The sin of porn is so minimized to, it's just like, I remember for myself, I got to the point where after the deed was done, I didn't feel guilty. I didn't feel shame. I felt nothing. I did not care. Mm -hmm. Like there were no negative emotions to, oh no, I need to stop this because I feel bad. No, that I got to a point where there were no negative feelings afterwards, which was not a fun place to be in. But mm-hmm. so many guys, and I've talked to a lot of people, right? Because though I keep religion out of my methods so I can reach as many people as possible, most of the dudes that I talk to are either Christian or Muslim. And they, you know, one of the things they always bring is, I want to quit so that my relationship with God can be restored. Mm. Because they feel that separation between them and God. And the sin is what separates them, right? It's, it does, it makes it harder to for the individual to feel like they can step in God's presence. But my understanding of like that personal relationship with God, right, is if you're feeling negative and maybe that negativity is because God allowed something to happen, communicate, right? And don't communicate from the instance of, or from the stance of trying to get God to change his mind or go back and undo something, right? Because I'd never prayed like, God, I want you to, undo the canceling well maybe i did i don't think i did probably didn't but that's because i knew i knew in my being god was going to use that Mm -hmm. um and sure enough i've had people that have outright quit porn because they've read a tweet because they have taken a master class because they enrolled in my one-on-one coaching and that is crazy if that's not god using me then i don't know what it is Mm-hmm. You know, because not only when a man quits porn, not only is he done with an addiction, he's able to feel his emotions again. And this is where porn is evil. Porn takes away from men the ability to feel their emotions deeply. It mm-hmm. takes away their ability to express those emotions because for them, expressing their emotions is ejaculating it into an old sock, mm-hmm. right? It steals their ability to connect intimately with the woman they love with their wife, you know, because what happens with porn is you get addicted to the constant stimulus that you have to see in order to experience arousal or the stimulation so that you can maintain an erection so you can get off. So you have, you go from seeing maybe 10 photos a day to seeing millions of photos throughout your entire lifetime. 
like the amount of naked women that I've seen and images that I can still pull up in my head. Mm-hmm. Ugh, it's frustrating. It's honestly frustrating, you know, because mm-hmm. I know that there, I have those, there are thoughts in my head that whether I want them to or not, they have influenced things throughout my life and just imagery mm-hmm. and the way that I see women or the way that I envision sex to be. Um, but I know if I, I quit porn and I help men rewire their subconscious mind, um, largely through things like positive thought work and positive affirmations. And not saying that I can completely erase those images, but I know I can rewire my mind out of some of those states that porn may still be influencing, right? Because you go from a place where dudes, where they go for years and years and years and years. And yes, you absolutely can quit porn in a short period of time. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've helped dudes do it through my guidance. But you may still have issues that arise where you're like, Did this, is this because of porn? Right? So porn is evil because it is manipulating the way that men and women, but the way that men are going to view sex, the way that they're going to want to experience sex, and it's damaging their ability to connect intimately with the woman they love, whether that be the woman they're going to marry or the woman they're already married to. Right, And I brought up the whole novelty Coolidge thing and millions of photos because these men have to recall scenes they've seen in their head so they can get off or reach climax when they're having sex with their wife. So they've lost the ability to truly like connect deeply. And if there is emotional segregation that a man experiences between himself and God when he's going through a relapse cycle, he's going to experience that with his wife, right? And if you don't have emotional connectedness with her, then good luck maintaining a healthy relationship. And I've worked with married clients too. Um, so that's one reason why I tweet as much as I can remember to, is like tell dudes, if you are single and if you are young, your top priority truly should be quitting porn. Because not only would I not be talking to you if I were not canceled, I would not be talking to you if I had never quit porn, right? Mm-hmm. I tell people I'd not have a business if I never quit porn. Sure, my business is helping other guys quit porn, but I wouldn't have the mental clarity. I wouldn't have the energy. I wouldn't have the ability to focus on something for as long as I can to actually build an online business because creating something like what I've created and what you've created, we both know this is not just something that you put together on the weekends, This is time intensive. This is emotionally intensive and this is energy Mm -hmm. intensive, you know, and if you're wasting all that on porn, which is evil for a man to even allow himself to experience that, um, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. And right. Yeah. And porn, it's stealing your ability to even bother focusing self-development. Because you've got, because they're stuck in this cycle of, I feel bad, I'm going to watch porn. Oh no, porn made me feel worse. And then they go Mm -hmm. back to, I feel bad because they internalize the negativity from the relapse, which then becomes an emotional trigger, which then spurs another relapse. So they are stuck in a point A to point B to back to point A cycle. And so many dudes are not aware of that. So many men, oh, I watch porn because I'm hornier because I have a high sex drive. What's the problem, bro? Mm Mm-hmm. It's like, you tell me what's the problem. Uh, yeah, porn's evil, man. Porn's evil. It keeps, it's one of those many drugs, but it's not really acknowledged as a drug, but it keeps. No, it's not. I think, 
Yeah, it's, it's, I think I've heard that described as like the hedonic cycle. You know, it's like you feel bad, so you do the thing to feel better, but the thing actually makes you feel worse. And so right. then you go back to the thing and it ends up being, I mean, this is, uh, this is where I think obesity comes from, right? It's like you're feeling bad about yourself for, for God knows any number of reasons related to upbringing. You know, let's start there. And so you medicate with food. And the food generally is not high quality. Like people don't go, you know, self-medicate with apples, you know, or steak. They self-medicate with self-medicate with a steak. <laughs> I know, right? But I mean, like no one, like I, I think, what is it that someone said? No one ever got, no one ever got fat eating like in single ingredient foods. Like you're, you can't, you literally cannot gorge yourself on apples. You can gorge yourself on a bag of Doritos though, real easy, you know, or, or yeah. McDonald's or whatever. So it's like, you know, our body naturally prevents us from overeating foods that are, we'll say like natural or minimal number of of ingredients. Like no one's going to go crazy and eat a whole, you know, a whole thing of, of yogurt without sugar in it. Like you're just not going to do that. But as soon as you put sugar and high fructose corn syrup and all kinds of stuff in there, it becomes very consumable. So it's low quality foods that people are eating. They eat the low quality foods and they don't feel better. And that, but now they've absorbed all these excess calories in their body. And when you look at an obese person, you just look at someone who's been on that spiral for years right. and has then like literally like trapped themselves, you know, and I suppose like, gosh, you know, climbing out, of, I mean, you would know more about this than, than I, and, than I would from your work with your clients, but climbing out of porn addiction, you know, you could probably do that in 30 days, but you're not climbing out of obesity without a, a significant, a significant effort of, of self-esteem and energy over the course of years. I mean, it's, it's just the biggest tragedy to walk around right. and yet that's just one of the drugs that we indulge in tv video games porn mm-hmm. food you know alcohol you know uh harder drugs street drugs it's just it's insane and yet porn is the one that we can't really talk about as being a drug that seems to be the one that's like it's controversial in a way yeah and it's too taboo for christians to talk about as well you know I'm, well, that's a shame and and i i made a tweet about it right like why do churches <laughs> not talk about porn it's because 99% of the pastors are addicted to porn. Um, and I say 99 because I want <laughs> I want engagements on the Bird app, right? Is it actually 99%? Lord, I pray that is not the case. But I For do sure. know that a lot of pastors do struggle with it. I know sure. a lot of pastors do struggle with it. So that's one reason why it's not talked about is because it, when you have a problem, you seek out the expert. Mm-hmm. Right. And if the pastor is not an expert on quitting porn, then how well is he going to be able to speak to that issue? How well mm-hmm. is he going to be able to help navigate men out of it? Right. Because so many people, so many pastors, um, they will be around the bush. They won't say porn addiction. They'll say you're lusting after images online. And we all know that that means porn. Mm-hmm. But what I said prior, you watch porn because you're hurting. The, the lust, the attraction, that's just the vehicle. That's just the method. That's just the drug that alleviates the problems. Mm-hmm. In many such cases, porn and the visual stimulus, it has nothing to do with sex. It is the escape, right? And this is and this is what a lot of people don't realize. And I'm sure you've heard like the post-not clarity jokes. Oh, like... Mm-hmm. People, people even joke like, oh, I think I'm going to buy a new car. I'm going to go bust a nut real quick so I can make the right decision. <laughs> the re- so post-nut clarity is actually like legit in the sense that whenever you watch porn, and I preface this with 
the things that happen in your brain when you watch porn are also happening when you have sex. But because of things like novelty, the Coolidge effect, blue light, like like I said prior, right? Like these screens are making our brains produce more dopamine than we need. We're overstimulated because of it. Mm. Um, anyways, right? So when you watch porn, a part of your brain called the lateral orbital frontal cortex, which is responsible for logical thinking and rational decision-making and even response to emotions like fear and anxiety, it's inhibited. It starts to shut down, right? So that's why for so many men, and I can speak from my own experience, right? I'd be watching the video and very rarely would a thought of, I should not be doing this. This is wrong. Very rarely would that thought come into my mind. You know why? Because it's a logical thought. And that part of my brain that's going to be modulating or moderating mm-hmm. those things is shut down. Mm-hmm. You can always click the X button. You can always stop what you're doing. You can mm-hmm. always, always, always back out of it. In fact, porn is probably one of the easiest drugs because it is a drug, like I said, to just outright decide, no, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. You don't even have, you know, you can click the off button on your phone. You can close the computer monitor. You can back out 100%. And that's one thing that I teach dudes how to do is like full-blown escape relapse. Um, and we and I, we can even dive into that too. If you got a pen and paper, jot that down because I do have a story that I can reference. Uh, my sure. first time escaping relapse. Because I'm escaping relapse, taking escaping this is great. relapse, escaping, taking notes on <laughs> topics. Well, I want to. I mean, I should actually write down. I want to talk about repentance. I want to get more into the nature of evil. So, okay, cool. <laughs> I love it. This is great. I I got my pen and paper over here too. So if I got questions for you, I'll be ready. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. So no, I mean, this is the this is the symphonic conversation. Let's touch on all the themes. Yeah, everything, man, everything. Right. So your brain is shutting down. After you orgasm, brain's back on. Post my mm. clarity, my man. I can't believe I just did that. Why right. did I watch porn after? I swore I would never do it again. Why did I watch porn when I knew it was going to make me feel bad? Mm-hmm. Why, 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 why? Well, homie, it's because you're not thinking logically. So mm-hmm. one thing that I do with my clients, and this was a big realization for me. If watching porn is illogical, then what better way to help overcome the desire to watch porn by thinking logical thoughts to keep your logical awareness up, right? Because if you're losing your logical awareness and your ability to think logically when you're watching porn, then one of the easiest ways to combat falling into a relapse is going to be thinking it, thinking about it logically. So that's why one of the first things that I teach dudes is when you have the desire to watch porn, you need to A, Ask yourself, why do I want to watch porn? What is this urge coming from? Am Mm -hmm. I stressed? Am I depressed? Am I anxious? Am I lonely? Do I want a reward? Do I want to feel empowered? And then if you're stressed, then what are you stressed about? Oh, I'm stressed because I had a busy day at work. Um, Whatever that may be. Oh, I'm stressed because I put off my homework. Well, why did you put off your homework? Oh, it's because I hung out with my friends on these nights. Well, why did you hang out with your friends on these nights as opposed to doing your homework when you know the homework was going to stress you out? That's a good question. I never thought about it like that. Yeah, because most people don't go down their own logical rabbit holes that often because we just went the easy way out, which is what porn is, right? Because right. porn is evil because it's taking away men's ability to actually go through their emotions and figure out what is actually causing these problems. Why am I stressed? Why am I anxious? Uh, Because I remember for years, for years, 
I would just get terrible anxiety, especially as a kid. I got terrible separation anxiety. And parents, what are you so anxious about? And I would always, I have no idea what I'm anxious about. I just know I'm anxious, right? Like to the extent where I would not want to go to my friend's houses at all, you know, and impossible for me to do a sleepover. I would either be up all night or way too anxious to fall asleep. And I'd be like, hey, can you guys pick me up, take me home? Um, and mm-hmm. it's only been in recent years that I really started to like dive into what is this anxiety stemming from? Uh, and I've realized for myself, it's a lot of ruminations, a lot of obsessive thought processes. And the only way I've been able to get a grip on that is by actually taking the time to let myself go through those thought processes, preferably with a journal. So writing things down as they come to me. And then once I identify the pain points, I then flip it, right? Find a positive perspective where I didn't, this is the problem. This is the right way to think about it, which is what I do with my clients. Um, Mm -hmm. Because one thing with porn addiction and with all addictions, all addictions stem from obsessive compulsive, or they're all obsessive compulsive. And I say that, you know, because a lot of people, and it's all just side tangent, right? Oh, so OCD runs in my family. Very okay. good chance I have OCD, but not like, oh, my, like if you could actually see this part of my screen, you'd see my room is very messy. So I'm not like OCD and organized. Um, just like my brain goes and it goes and it goes and it goes. And sometimes it doesn't stop until mm-hmm. recently when I've actually been able to get a grip on that, right? And I only say this because I think it's one of those things that God has used in my life to really help me understand porn addiction. Because I've been able to understand that. So OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, you have an obsession that creates anxiety. And then you turn to a compulsion that alleviates the anxiety, but that compulsion is irrational. So the example that I like to give people is there's a dude with OCD that's scared to death that every time he goes down a flight of stairs, he's going to trip and fall and die. And the only thing that alleviates that anxiety is by every time he goes down a step, he clicks the back of his heel on it three times. So you think logically, okay, if you're clicking the back of your heel on that step three times, doesn't that increase the likelihood of you falling to your death? He's not mm-hmm. thinking of that because it's, it's, you know, the compulsion's illogically connected. So with all addictions being a form of obsessive compulsive or just being obsessive compulsive your obsession is the anxiety or the stress or the depression and your compulsive behavior is something that makes no sense does it make sense to watch porn after a long day at work when you're stressed Mm, i mean i guess it depends on what you're looking at the at the porn for i mean ultimately if you, it'll give you some some, some of the release right. will give you some sort of like short term, but like the long term, will it actually make it better? No, it makes you more tired right. and more work. right. And that's okay. and that's part of the tricky part, right? Is people they don't think of the long term. It's, it's we're addicted right. to instant gratification, uh, and that is one reason why I've been able to pursue my business with as much intensity as I have, is because my business is not just the opportunity for me to go buy steak and shrimp and eat that throughout the week. Cause that's what I did yesterday. And I had a great lunch day, let me tell you. And my business mm. paid for it. But my business is also the vehicle of which I am going to be able to be an active and involved father in the lives of my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, because my dad- You don't have kids home. now though. Yeah, I don't have kids now. Um, yeah, yeah. Still waiting on that gift. 
But, right. you know, my dad worked from home. He'd work, he worked in the basement and I would always like mom and dad would always tell me like, oh, you used to cry and want to go down there and be with your dad all the time. Uh, and I love my dad. Great, great guy. In fact, he's the reason I'm red pilled. Um, hmm. So having that strong impression on me, it's like I like, and I was homeschooled as well. I was homeschooled through and through. I I spent two years going to college to get an associate's degree, um, and I have all the credits. I never applied for graduation because <laughs> I went to Gumroad University instead. Man, Ooh, you know my my right. Yeah, that's all that matters. So, right, the business, the vehicle for intensity, I know my business is I'm going to be able to be that active, involved father that I've always wanted to be. Uh, when my kids, they want to do something with dad, uh, hey, I'm going to have to call you back. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to have that ability, and I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. uh, and I keep working for that because I know, like, I want to have a lot of kids, and I want to be super active and involved in their lives. And I want to homeschool those kids, too. Not like the typical dad homeschool where you're the principal and if your kid gets in trouble, the mom takes you to the dad. I want to like actually teach my kids in the homeschooling environment, not where that's predominantly just the woman doing it. And right. yeah, there's many, many benefits. If you are able to let your wife homeschool your kids, 100% go for it. But it's going to be a hell of a lot easier if dad is actually able to teach like the history class or the math class mm -hmm. or whatever it may be. Um, and it's going to be more enriching for the kids. You know, and a lighter work workload between the parents as well. Well, I think there's well, there's a book. Gosh, um, well, the author's name is C. R. Wiley, and something about the battle for the universe, something like that. And the point that he makes is that this notion that we have of fathers working out of the home is historically new. You know, since the Industrial Revolution, it's when, you know, fathers, for the most part, fathers were raised with their sons and daughters because the fathers ran their businesses out of the home, whether they be a blacksmith with their shed in the back or something like that. They didn't go to factories. They didn't go to offices. They were in or near the home and their kids were able to be around with them. And it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution uh, that men were taken out of the home, away from their kids, like far enough away that they couldn't interact with them on a regular basis, like you know, 30, 45 minutes away at least. And so you have this separation that that developed. And interestingly enough, uh, there's a book called Muscular Christianity by um, Brett McKay, who did the uh, who does the Art of Manliness uh, blog and podcast. And in this book, this is where he he identifies the beginning of the feminization of Christianity, because what he says happens, at least in America. What he said happened was, so fathers leave the home, fathers go work in the factory. Um, and so the mothers are at home with the kids. Well, the, the pastors, you know, of the churches, where are the pastors? The pastors are not in the factories with the men. The pastors are back in the village. And so when the pastors are going around trying to figure out, you know, what to do with their, you know, to take care of their community, to deal with their sermons and stuff, they're primarily talking to the women. So this all happened very unconsciously. They, they, they customized their sermons more for women and children who are the people that they interact with. And then the men come home and they go to church and they find something that doesn't appeal to them. And the home, and this is also the beginning, and this is all in muscular Christianity. Uh, and, and this is also the beginning of, of um, men's clubs because homes became uh, the domestic goddess kind of thing. That's where this meme came from. Well, if the factory is the realm of the man, then the home is the realm of the woman. So the home becomes more feminized and the man feels uncomfortable. So men go out to men's clubs. So the Industrial Revolution was this huge shattering of social bonds 
And so what C.R. Wiley, um, I'll put it in the show notes, the name of the book, what he talks about is in order to reclaim, I'm pretty sure he calls it the soul of the universe, is you need to move back to home-based businesses because then husbands and wives, mothers and fathers can be home with the children together and they don't have to be separated from each other anymore. And, you know, to your point about being angry at God at circumstances, like a lot of people naturally were very angry at God about the whole COVID situation, but look right. what happened. You have people where, and you smiled, so you knew exactly where I was going with it. So it's like, so it's like you have, it, and that was a huge shift in the working environment. It's like, well, why would I spend an hour and a half commuting every day? We've gotten used to Zoom life. I can be home with my kids. We're all accustomed to this. It was a real positive benefit that came out of this as parents being able to be around their kids, the one who took the ones who took the leap into homeschooling anyway. Um, so it's it's a lot of a lot of men and women are thinking in that direction. Like if you can make a living on the internet, why not? Why, you know, you're your own boss, you know, and you get to be around your wife and kids, which I think is ultimately what what men truly want on some deep level. Right. I know for myself, I've always, always wanted to get married. Always, always wanted to have kids. Yeah. Um, and having my business now, it it makes me it makes me more confident in being able to pursue that. Sure. Um, and it it allows me to reach it quicker because instead of me going to college to get a degree, to right. do a job that I don't want to do to act, to make enough money to support a family, um, I could probably make ends meet right now if I wanted to. But I want to keep developing myself a tiny bit longer before mm-hmm. I really dive into that, you know. So, but yeah, no, that's super interesting what you raised with the points made in muscular Christianity, right? The pastors, oh, well, if our audience is women and children, then let's tailor things a little bit more to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one reason why what we're doing, what we're doing in the quote unquote manosphere, which by the way, sure. everybody, when are we going to pick a new name for that? <laughs> I have an idea for a name. (laughs) I like your idea better. I think we should run with that. I agree. (laughs) Um, But that's one thing that's so great about what we're doing is we are bringing so much attention to these masculine issues. And one thing, right, and I, and I, I see this maybe a little bit more than other dudes do just because I am on the younger side of things. Um, Mm -hmm. Is like, I know dudes who like I worked with a guy who's 18 and I think his first real red pill was probably, I think it was probably falling soul bra who sooner mm-hmm. or later he found me got coaching and now he's just going down like the red pill rabbit hole. And when I say yeah. red pill, I don't mean like a uh, relationship red pill or like okay. to what many people expect it to be where it's like, Oh, you mean like women are just cruel and, they would swing from branch to branch. It's like, no, when I say red pill, I more so mean like unearthing the truth. Like mm-hmm. which pill are you going to take? Are you going to pursue the truth? Or are you going to stay plugged in? You know, and for a lot of people, quitting porn is escaping the matrix because mm-hmm. you cannot escape the matrix if you don't have your emotional energy, your physical energy, your spiritual energy. Your, did I already say physical? I Mental energy. You can't okay. have those things in tuned if you're still plugged into the matrix of porn. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, you, we, we even talked a little bit about the hedonic cycle or whichever, whichever, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, with addictions and so many people are stuck in that cycle. So many mm-hmm. people. 
And you can even look at that from like a young man's perspective, right? You wake up on a Monday morning to go to a school that you don't want to go to, taking classes that you don't want to take, that have nothing that interests you, only to go work a low-paying job that does not satisfy you, to then wait until, oh, it's Thursday night, I probably shouldn't start drinking, but I think I'm going to. Or I probably should not indulge in whatever this thing is that's going to mess up the rest of your Friday, which then is going to mess up your weekend, which is then going to make you hate Monday even more. Yeah, because uh, it's all it's all a matter of escapism. And if there's one thing that is universal to just the male experience and maybe the female experience, but I'm a man, is there comes a point where you do, or at least for me, I'll speak from my own experience. I have absolutely wanted to shed all responsibilities. I've wanted mm-hmm. to exist for my own sake, to pursue what makes me happy. Um, and you know, everyone else, screw off. Let me do my own thing. Let me be stuck in my own sloth or just sloth. Yeah, whatever that may be. Whatever, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's the easier option. And I can't remember, maybe Pat Sedman's touched on this and I know other people have too, but it's that whole like, I think every man must wrestle and defeat the demon of giving his responsibilities to mom, mm-hmm. right? We all mm-hmm. want someone to come in and make our meals, make the bed, wash our clothes, and let us indulge in whatever um, self fantasy that may be. Yep. Right. And like, think back to your boyhood years, man. I would, you love going out in the woods, playing, and come home, and mom's got a good meal on the table for you. Mm-hmm. You know. Um. And there's a lot of dudes that never escape from that. And I remember like reading in Wild at Heart from by John Eldridge and mm. him talking about it is a necessary transition for like the boy to gravitate away from mom, but not so much so in like the transition from mom to dad, but more so just like that you can't rely on mom nearly as much. Uh, I'll admit, I ask my mom for cooking advice all the time. That's because my mom makes really good food and I want to be able to make really good food one day. Right. Right. But that's almost more, and I guess I could even say that's almost more. So like I mentioned prior, I go to specific people for specific advice. Mm -hmm. You know, if I have an issue that I know my mom's going to have the intuitive answer to guess who I'm asking the question to, you know, or if I need like a really logical breakdown, I'm going to dad business advice. I'm going to my business coaches, so on and so forth. Um, but breaking free from that male response, that male feeling, that demon we all wrestle with to shed responsibility, to exist for our own sake. A, it's easier, uh, but one way or another, I think men, that may just be part of our sinful nature, right? That we just have to wrestle with that. And mm-hmm. that's one reason why I teach dudes, right? And because I tell people, yeah, I help you quit porn, but I'm going to help you lay the groundwork to live your best life ever. And one way I do that is with helping them shift their focus from short-term gratification to long-term gratification, right? The short-term gratification of my online business is like for a like small example, I made more money on Monday than I made in all of October. How cool is that? That's, That's the instant cool. gratification. Yeah, thank you. That's the instant gratification. The long-term gratification is... I am not going to have to go to work and leave my kids and my wife behind for eight hours out of the day. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be able to have breakfast with them. I'm going to be able to have lunch with them. I'm going to be able to school them. 
if I say we're going to the woods, then we are going to the woods. You know, that's the long-term gratification. And I have to teach dudes that with quitting porn. And a lot of men just need to, you know, get a grip on that. In general, it's because if you're able to recognize that it, when you channel your energy into something, um, and a lot of people view that through the lens of like sexual transmutation, because if your sex drive is one of the most powerful driving forces, which second to hunger, it definitely is. And you're able to channel that. Yeah. Then you're able to accomplish a lot of stuff, accomplish a lot of stuff. And have I effectively channeled my sex drive into my business? Sure. You know, whatever you want to say, but it's that long-term gratification. It's the family, the wife, the kids doing what right. I want to do, my own time. I was able to go to, do you know Andrew Loeschner? Yes. I know the name. I, he's, he's on the Bird app, right? Yeah, he's on the Bird app. I've known him for five years, and we met for the first time on October 17th this year and because I was going to his wedding. Known him for five years. We just met. I would not have been able to do that if I was still um, working that job that paid me 10 bucks an hour for more mm -hmm. knowledge than I knew what to do with in that store. I'd not been able to take that trip had I still been stuck uh, at college going to classes that I was like, why the hell am I here? You know, and now I outright wouldn't have been able to afford it. Right. You know, I was making like 800 to a grand back at my old job. I spent more than that on the trip, <laughs> especially yeah. with, you know, thanks, Brandon. Gas prices have been so bad. What the heck? My calculations you, were way off. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I wouldn't have been able to do that had I not started the business, had I not focused my long-term gratification, had I been able to break away from that cycle of wanting to shut off my responsibilities. Mm. I am a 21-year-old dude. And I don't know if you hang around a lot of other 21-year-olds, but we aren't doing jack shit. Yeah, it's a tough you know? time for young men. If I wanted to, every, and, and everybody has that expectation of young guys just figuring stuff out. Usually we're not expected to figure stuff out until we're in our you know, early to mid-30s. That's the right. social expectation. And if I wanted to cave and use that social expectation as a blanket, and let other people take care of me, it's not that hard to do. Mm -hmm. It's not that hard, especially when you got a mom that loves you. Good grief. She'll do anything for you. I think that's one of the red pill, at least in the relationship side, that's one of the red pill truths that I think they're pretty spot on on. It's the only person who's going to love you or unconditionally in this world is your mom. You know, you could kill Probably some your of dad them. too, but I know what you mean. Right. Yeah. Dad and mom. Dad and mom. Yeah, I mean, but it's different. Right. Oh, yeah, it's definitely a different yeah. kind of love. Um, which, and that's one thing that I think is important for men, right? And this kind of even goes back to the divide between the emotional men and the divide between the physical men. Right. Is it, I think it is worth for guys to dive into other parts of their heart and love people through different means. And when mm -hmm. I say that, it's like, yes, as a man, we are going to have the most, we're going to bond with people the most when we are solving problems. But it's mm -hmm. also really worth trying to connect emotionally with someone, right? Like mm -hmm. I know for myself, 
uh, I connect the most in having a deep one-on-one conversation. So like, Will, you've like gained like five homie points from this convo already, you know? Nice. Because that's how I work. But I also know that, you know, because of male nature, I'm going to lean into this because what better way to become more masculine than to lean into your masculine nature? I know that if I solve problems with people, I'm going to connect more with them. Like one example was I recently had my shock on my car just bust while I was driving. Clear broken half. Um, And I'm glad it did on the day that it did because the day prior I was driving back from Michigan. And that would not have been fun to deal with on the way home. Mm, Yeah. But my one friend is he's actually doing the smart route with school. He went to school for the trade purposes, right? So he's studying to become a mechanic. So he and I worked to fix my shock. And after two very long and very frustrating nights of either having to take things apart that we weren't expecting to take apart or having a nut like locked onto a bolt like you wouldn't believe. (laughs) Um, After we were done working on that car, we were both in a good mood. We were both alleviated. Right. And that just goes to show, you know, dopamine is going to be released upon reward, upon task completion. Mm. Like we were both super, super tired because it would have been like 11, like one o'clock at night. He had work the next morning at like nine. Um, I'm an entrepreneur, so I slept in. (laughs) But we, we did not care about the circumstances of the day ahead because we just completed this task together. And through that frustration, you know, that relationship strengthened because of it. Is that my go-to for deepening relationships with people? No. But do I know that it works? Yeah. And -hmm. I think it's worth other dudes trying that out, right? If you're the hands-on guy, you'll be very surprised at what you can unearth within yourself if you actually take the time to open up a journal and start writing down what comes to mind, right? That's one thing that I tell my clients is if you have an urge to watch porn, go get a journal, go start writing down everything that's on your mind. And when I say everything, Mm -hmm. I mean everything. Because Mm -hmm. what's happening is you've got emotional tension on the back burner that's just brewing and it's creating this buildup, right? Like I know you're more of an emotional, and I will, let's just assume that every guy has experienced this one way or another. But that tension you get in your chest when you're stressed, or that emotional buildup where you can literally feel it. Like I've had that happen when I'm so anxious or so sad or whatever, where I can literally feel the tension in my chest. I tell people that, so you turn to porn because it's a physical release, and your body wrongfully interprets the emotional buildup the emotional tension as the desire to release it through a physical release, ejaculating. To prevent that, get a pen and paper. Write everything that comes to mind, whether it's a thought process, whether it is an emotion, something you're worried about, something you're stressed about, something you're anxious about, get it out on paper because you're going to clear it off your subconscious mind and then you're actually going to be able to identify this is caused by this problem. And then you're going to be able to tap into that male brain and start problem solving, right? My typical journal flow, I go from the, usually the first half is me being, I'm stressed about X, Y, and Z. I have these problems that I need to solve. I'm sad about this or whatever it may be. 
And then I go through a shift where, okay, I'm done feeling sad. Now I want to solve my problems. I figure out what those problems are. I walk myself through how I'm going to solve those problems. And at the very end of that entry, I'm going to say, I'm going to go solve this problem. And then I go solve the problem. Mm. And I also do this in my head, right? So there are plenty of times I will realize that my journaling is almost a form of procrastination in some sense. It's like, yeah, I know what I need to do. Right. It's like, I know what I need to do, but I want to talk myself out. And then I realize, ah, you know what? Time's ticking and I already know what I need to go work on. So I just will stop the journaling right then and there and go do the thing. You know, so it's It's definitely worth the handle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. So it's definitely worth the more physical dudes to try that. And then it's also worth for the more emotional dudes to go take up their pent up frustration and unleash it at the gym. Or go on a walk, do something, get physical, do push-ups, whatever it's got to be. You want to be a master of all aspects of your masculinity, whether that's mental, whether that's emotional, whether that's physical. You know, because complete self-mastery is ultimately going to bring the most fulfillment, even, you know, spiritual too, right? Like, I am so much more enriched in my life as a man the more and more I realize, like, yeah, God is going to use this weakness. He's going to use whatever this is, yeah. and he's going to get me through it. There's so much here that I think is, gosh, I want to talk about all of it at once. It's like all the kids trying to get off the bus at the same time. But you touched on something that I think shines a light on everything that we're talking about here, um, which just flew in and just flew out of my out of my. <laughs> head as it as it does um i love when that happens (laughs) right right. well no it was it was around the idea of of uh of sex drive and when i and and how um and how you've um re-channeled your sex drive and where i've always heard that or that the the tone that that always seems to be used in is is like in some sort of like taoist you know, breath work, yes. rechanneling your energy within your body. And I think that's one way of looking at it. But what I hear you saying, and, and, and maybe this is, uh, maybe this is my own interpretation of it, but I think it's, I think it's valid in its own way is to say this sex drive is a creative drive that lives within me. Yes. And instead of like doing some sort of mystical art where I redirect, you know, energy from my chakras <laughs> or whatever, that instead I say, okay, this drive, this is a this is a pro-creative drive, like pro forward, you know, or in favor of dash creative, pro-creative drive that I can I can waste, you know, in in porn and and masturbation. Or I can say I'm going to take that same energy, that same tension, and use it to drive me forward to create something to eventually find fulfillment out there in the world with a, a, a woman, a wife, and, and kids. And so, like, it's uh, the, the the reason why I say that is I want to demystify, demysticize this notion of channeling sex drive, right? You know, because that's how that's how I've always heard it. Like Taoist, what's the Montauk Chia kind of <laughs> deal, you know? And you know, respect to Montauk Chia, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, if, oh, I'm yeah. sure he's got a lot of really. Yeah, for sure. He's been doing it forever. I think, but I think the to to the mysticism can often be off putting to a lot of men or kind of like opaque versus say like, no, you can make a choice here with how you choose to spend your energy, especially how you choose to spend your sexual energy. Like you can't. It's really difficult to rechannel hunger energy. You know, you said the two oh, most fundamental. <laughs> you can rechannel hunger energy, dude. If I'm physically hungry, then I just mentally accept that as 
hunger for something, and then I channel it to something. Please and when I say kidding. channel, I'm being dead serious, dude. I use intermittent okay. fasting in the morning so I can work harder because I know if I'm physically hungry, and it, it, you can even do it like this, right? Like, I'm not going to eat until after I'm done editing this podcast. Guess who's going to okay. want to edit the podcast faster? I see what you mean. Okay. Of course, you don't want to do that and sacrifice the quality of your work. You still want to be conscientious I mean. throughout that process. Right. Um, but yeah, so I've, so I've used hunger more, more, more so for writing, right? Especially that first draft because it is supposed to be shitty. It is supposed right. to be refined. Um, but so with sexual transmutation, I'm, I get that a lot, right? Like, oh, it's woohoo. It's really woohoo. It's too Eastern for me. And well, it's not, I even, not that. It's not not that, you know what I mean? It is that, but like there's a, there's maybe there's a Western way of looking at it as well right. as an outer work thing versus an inner work thing. They're complementary, Right. Right. Um, so the way that I describe it to people is I usually tell them, um, when you recognize that you're, you're kind of feeling that energy build up. And I think that's the most tricky part about it is recognizing when you're feeling that energy build up. And mm. sometimes that happens after you quit porn, but for a lot of dudes, it happens while they're quitting porn. And mm. it, it usually only takes a little bit more conscientiousness, just being more consciously aware of what you're feeling and what you're going through. Because I'll tell my dudes, right? Like when you notice an energy buildup, if you want to channel that energy, it can be as simple as saying, I'm going to channel my energy into X or Y or Z, right? Because they're they're like one of one of like there was an article that I wrote a while back, a few months back. It was actually closer, maybe February or March. I haven't done a lot of long form content lately, but it was something to the extent of why why Christian dating sucks or something like that. I read that article today. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I remember I wasn't sure if like which one of those you were going to go through or anything like that. Cause I sent a lot, but I was like, you asked, I was like, what should I go through? I was like, I haven't written any long form content. And then like five seconds later, I realized that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you sent me five I, links. I read all of right. them, by the way. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so, but research. I, yeah, and that's what I like about you, Will. That's what I like about you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so it makes your podcast so good, man. Um, that you really know how to listen. You really know you. how to listen. And that is so lost because people mm. are not intentional. People are not intentional. Mm. Um, I and I can tie that into the sexual transmutation and it being intentional. Mm -hmm. I remember I wrote that article or maybe it was, it was, it was one of those articles. And I remember, um, feeling more of like a sexual buildup. Or I also could have gone to my friend's house and kind of just fucked around for a while. Not really like just do it, doing stupid guy stuff that keeps guys stuck in depressive states that I can kind of consciously, I guess it'd be like a third dimension pocket, you know, to mm -hmm. use Pat Stedman. Um, mm -hmm. But so my options were write the article uh, or go fuck around. You know, go watch eat PewDiePie videos and have a few beers. That's my idea of fucking around. <laughs> mm -hmm. That, that um, qualifies as fucking around for sure. Yeah, it does. And that's a YouTube just as addictive as everything else, man. I was talking to one of my clients about that yesterday. Um, 
But I told my friends, as much as I wanted to not do work, I knew I had this energy build up. And if I were not going to use it, I was going to lose it. So I told them, I said, I will mm. be there when I'm done with this article. And then I consciously told myself, I'm going to channel my energy into this writing. And the words just flowed, man. Mm. It just flowed. Um, and it's not because I meditated. It's not because I rechanneled my chakras uh, or anything like that. Yeah. Quite literally, just because I said, I'm going to channel my energy into this thing. Um, and, you know, mentality and all that fun stuff, right? We, we kind of joked around about that. Mentality is everything. And there's a lot of truth to that because if you, first and foremost, if you do not believe that telling yourself, I'm going to channel my energy into writing this article is going to effectively allow you to channel your energy into writing that article, then you are not going to be able to do that thing. Mm -hmm. Right? Because you have that limiting belief that's preventing you from doing that thing. And that's one thing that money Twitter will talk an awful lot about, but, and to the point where like people will complain about how frequently they talk about it. Um, like just, just do something, just do something. Well, there are a lot of people who are too caught up in their head to realize what should they do. Right. Or they'll have an idea and they won't want, they won't run with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's like, you know, imposter syndrome. I used to deal with imposter syndrome, man. Because when I first started taking my Twitter seriously, it was, um, it was the month after I was canceled. So I actually started my first Twitter account, I want to say in September of 2019, or never mind, the chronological order doesn't matter. I can't remember specifically. All I know is that I had a Twitter account that I was canceled because of, and then I went anon for a while because you know I did the reverse. I was anon because I was canceled. But I also knew like I have a business I need to build if I want to be if I want to not risk my financial dependency being on an institution or someone else saying you get a paycheck or another thing for me. Right. Like my logic was if I was canceled at the age of 20, who is to say I will not be canceled again? Mm. You know, and I wanted to make sure that if anything like that happens, I don't have to worry about it. So I started the second Twitter account. Um. You're going to have to help me backtrack because I was going somewhere real good with this and I forgot. What was the first We're thing I was talking about before I started talking about energy transportation? You were talking about going to your friends and you were talking about how you decided to channel all your energy before right, you went over into the, the article. Around. Going over there. Um, there were, I feel like there was something else that I was alluding to and it's, it'll probably hit me sooner or later. Because mm. um, I was going somewhere with talking about Starting the second Twitter. Oh, imposter syndrome. Because mm. we were, I was talking about like Twitter platitudes. And mm -hmm. I think imposter syndrome, both between dudes wanting to shed responsibility and live under mama's wing, mm. guys are going to deal with a lot of imposter syndrome purely because, um, and you can, you'll have dudes that'll get imposter syndrome also because they watch so much damn porn. You know, mm. uh, they want to perform like the men do in the porn they're watching. You know, it's like, oh, I got to totally last realistic. longer than three minutes. Right. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I got to last longer than three minutes. Oh, I got to have a magnum dong. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's, you know, and it's because they've imp imp implanted and printed these images into their brain, which are not easy to get rid of. Right. Um, that then is instilling anxiety or instilling doubt in themselves. 
And guess what that anxiety and doubt and that insecurity is going to do? It's going to push them back to porn. Mm. So my bout with imposter syndrome was I was 21 years old and I was on the, in the manosphere. And I knew I had an awful lot to say. Not quite sure how I was going to say it, but I knew I wanted to be an influential player in this big, in, in the renaissance of men. I knew I wanted to be an influential player in the renaissance. <laughs> We're changing the verbiage today, baby. <laughs> That's right. Let's do it. Um, so I knew I wanted to be an influential player, but I was a, tw- I'm a, I was a 20 year old dude. I wasn't married. How was I supposed to talk about right. fatherhood when that's what everyone else in the Renaissance is talking about? Mm-hmm. How else was I supposed to talk about being married when that's what everyone else was talking about? Because I didn't mm-hmm. have experience in that. Um, and shout out to my friend Steel Jams. He doesn't tweet an awful lot because the man is so so busy these days. He's a great dude. He, he hosts um, Barbarian Rhetoric. And, mm-hmm. and I've actually written a few articles on BR, which I believe I sent you those as well. You did. Um, and okay, good. And anyways, I, I, and he lives 15 minutes away from me. So first person I met on Twitter was like 15 minutes away from me. Absolutely insane. But we were out going on a walk, local park, smoking cigars, right? And I was talking to him about, um, this issues. Like I want to, I want to write, I want to talk and I want to be a role in this sphere, but I don't have an awful lot that I can offer. And he presented a very powerful reframe to me. He's like, sure you do. You can't talk about being a father, but you can talk about being a father through the perspective of a son. So you can offer fatherly advice through the lens of being a son. Just like, hey, Mm -hmm. you can't offer direct advice on marriage, but you can offer insight on marriage through the perspective of the oldest son. You know, mm-hmm. I 100% recognize that my sisters and my younger brother, who's only two years younger than I am, which did I tell you about his photography? I don't think so. Okay. Well, I'm not going to, I won't bring that up on the podcast. Just a little bit of a side note, uh, but he's got a business too. And I'm super proud of him. So if he's listening, cool. Good job, man. Um, nice. But I totally recognize that, my my younger siblings do better when my parents do better, right? And that makes and I can call that out because I've seen that through practical firsthand experience. So he effectively helped me eradicate my initial imposter syndrome in the manosphere, or excuse me, in the Renaissance, when he presented that to me. Yeah, I do too. It's it's I I, I do too. Um, and I was like, holy Moses, dude! You literally just got rid of my imposter syndrome. But that was also when I wanted to be just kind of the masculinity account. Or mm. when I would talk more specifically about like trad relationships, trad dating or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so funny that trad Twitter thinks they're their own little thing, but they're actually just a subset in the over, like the 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 bigger picture of the Renaissance. It's like, no, you're just like, you're not, you're, you're no, you're part of the Renaissance. Calm down. Just a, just a mm-hmm. little side note that I like to poke fun at people with at times. Um, but my initial, you know, kind of upbringing in this world of masculinity was, it was like, what do I talk about? Because I don't have a lot of experience in that or not in the sense that would amass a giant following. Right. And I always knew, um, cause I created my first quick porn ebook 
And I actually sold copies of that on my first account, which, and I think I released the book early. No, I released pre-orders, I believe, early May of 2020, Hmm. if I remember correctly. Pre-cancellation. Yeah, so I actually made some money online before I was canceled. Like I had a Gumroad paycheck of like 100 bucks, made my first $12 online in my sleep. And from that moment (laughs) on, not only was I addicted to it, but I recognized that I could make money online. Mm -hmm. So I always knew that I was going to continue to push that product because that was how I was going to make money online. But that I never knew that that was going to be what people know me as, right? Because people used to know me as just either King David or back when I was running my podcast, the Arsenal podcast, which I am changing and revamping and bringing back in a new form. Um, Mm. So people used to know me as David, the Arsenal headmaster. But now people know me as King David, the world's only quit porn strategist, right? Mm-hmm. And, and part of that was just because like, I've leaned more into the quit porn topic. But yeah. for so long, I had imposter syndrome because there are other people, there are other men in the manosphere, excuse me, the Renaissance. Got to rewire our brains here, man, so that we know that this is what it is now, right? Mm-hmm. So consciously correcting yourself like I just did is how you're going to rewire your subconscious. You know, so whenever men, you're listening to this, let's apply this to quitting porn real quick. You get an urge to quit porn, or excuse me, you should have an urge to quit porn, but you get the urge to watch porn. Oh man, I want to watch porn. You need to catch that thought. You need to correct it. No, I don't want to watch porn. I want to alleviate my stress or my anxiety. That is super powerful. It's very, very Mm -hmm. easy to rewire your subconscious mind. Um, but back to the whole Twitter thing, right? I had big imposter syndrome around this time of year because I was still creating my masterclass because I took my ebook and I wanted to turn it into a masterclass because I wanted to make more money off of it because at the time I was only selling it for 20 bucks. So I knew, okay, I have to make videos. So I started to make like Canva presentation slides and I did voiceovers and I would watch the videos and I realized, man, this is not what I wanted it to be at all. It just was not the quality that I should be producing. And I also had a tentative deadline of November 1st so I could mark it out with no November. And I did not reach my deadline. So I was a little bummed about that. And the course just was not going where I wanted it to. And then you have other people, other men who had either courses for quitting porn that were based off of like more legit credentials than just me who was a statue account at the time and then you had other men who were who arguably well no i won't compare my struggle to their struggle because that's a problem that a lot of guys do but on paper his story of overcoming porn addiction is a lot more impressive than my story of overcoming porn addiction Hmm. right but granted he's also older things like that, but on paper, right? So I had this, this, um, imposter syndrome terribly because why would people get my course when I had been addicted to porn for nine years, when he had been addicted to porn for 15 years? I'll go with the guy who was addicted (laughs) for longer. Like it doesn't work that way. I I get what you mean though. The imposter syndrome, it's not rational. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, so, so why would I wrestle with that? I wrestled with that so much. 
And there are, you know, and I had people that would, you know, constantly pour into me and, and tell me like, you need to make this because at that point, like, yeah, there were people that had already bought my, um, ebook and all that fun stuff while I was in on, um, which was funny because I rebranded the ebook after I went from my first account, which was public to my Anon account. Cause I was like, Oh, I don't want anyone to know that it's me. But at that point I don't really care. Cause I, well, no, that's a lie. I did care. I didn't want, um, the situation to get any worse, even though like realistically it couldn't get worse. I just didn't want it to. Mm. Um, so mm. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, like it couldn't get worse. Like you, like you looking back on it, you recognize that, it probably couldn't have gotten worse than it, than it did. Right. And it was just like to the, like, like to the point where, you know, you'd second guess, like I didn't want to get any jobs locally and like it was bad, but it wasn't as bad to the extent of if I had gotten another job locally, would that have, um, caused issues with applications? Probably not, but I was anxious enough that I didn't want to even bother trying. Or there were some instances mm. where it was like, yeah, I don't really feel like going out in public because I don't want anyone to recognize me, even right. though it never really got that bad. Um, you know, it's just those That's, like those, you know, thinking too much, being a little too obsessive on things that I don't need to be obsessive on. That's, I mean, that's pretty powerful, though, that like, you know, you were you were canceled so hard. I mean, whether you I mean, that you felt that you had been canceled so hard that you were afraid to even like go out in public. Like, right. That's pretty that's and you know just to make a note like you were 20 21 years old like that's a lot i mean that's a lot for a lot of adults to go through you know people you know people twice your age or more that go through cancellation like it's you know obviously they have families and careers and much more built up but you know cancellation is fundamentally about like it's about social shaming right that's what cancellation right. is with the hope with the hope that the shaming you know, can drive someone to, you know, someone to get fired from their business and stuff like that. So it's, but it's essentially that, but like the shame, the weight of the shame alone, you know, that you were afraid to go outside. It's insane, man. It's insane. Right. Yeah. It was rough, dude. It was rough. Um, and so that all, there was a lot of uh, imposter syndrome from that. There was a lot of stress from like, I wasn't making a lot of money, but I was making enough money to put gas in the car and go buy food with the homies. And sure. at that time, being 20, what more does a dude need? You know? Yeah, not a I lot. I mean, that's, you cover the necessities right there. I was able to get food and put gas in the tank. At least for me, that's mm-hmm. all I needed. I'm a, I'm a simple mm-hmm. man. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feed my car, I feed my face, and I'm good. Yeah, yeah. So, but... I went from, it, you know, at least making 200 to 300 every two weeks, which then it's insane for me to think, wow, that's such a mo- so much money to now making money online and realizing like, ugh. It's nothing. And, and I guess I do want to s- say that, like, I don't say that to like sp- speak down on people that are making less, but it's like for no. me, mentality shift, right? From, oh my yeah. goodness, $300, that's so much money. To now, it's like if I don't make several grand in a month, then I'm like, uh, woe is me. I can't believe, you know, <laughs> when back in the day it was like, oh my goodness, I made a thousand dollars this month. Holy shit. You know, because this time last year, dude, this time last year, um, I was making like 180 off of unemployment, which was 
actually, I was very glad that I got on unemployment despite me not liking that consciously because it's like, oh, I'm getting money from the government. Well, I was able to use the government's money to fund a few short road trips where I was able to meet some Twitter friends, which I wouldn't trade that for the world. Sure. But from the online money perspective, right? Like I was lucky. Like I was making maybe 200 280 $300 a month selling my quit porn ebook. Um, mm, on, in addition to your, in addition to your, your job. No, not even to addition to my job. So that was after I got canceled. Oh, wow. When so I, times were, times were pretty lean. Yeah. For me, I mean, I, I live home, right. And that's the blessing of my family, not being your 18, screw you, go move out. So I'm very sure. much so when I have kids, I'm going to be like, Hey, y'all get a hangout here and get your shit together. But mm-hmm. I will, I will say this, right? Like my dad did tell me, um, cause the canceling was in July of 2020. And he said, if this time next year, you're not making enough money off of your online business, you're going to have to get a real job. Mm. And I was like, okay, year. Yeah, that's, that'll, that'll work. More than enough time. Right. So I went through November battling imposter syndrome. And just recently, recently I was, I was kind of in a bit of a low period where it was, I think tail end of September. And I, uh, decided that I was going to read through an old journal and I started to read journal entries from where I was at last September. So this most Mm. recent September, I started to kind of, uh, I wanted to see what was past me going through Mm -hmm. because I was, you know, I wasn't feeling good emotionally. I wasn't feeling good. And I went through that journal entry and I actually, I actually went over this with a client so I could actually read a tiny bit of this off of the journal entry. Yeah, a little bit. So I said, dear future me, I hope this letter finds you well. The day is September 21st, 2020. Hmm. For the past two months, you've been taking yourself seriously, trying to make ends meet. But right now, truth be told, you're pretty discouraged. Well, past you. I hope by the time you've laid eyes on this letter, you're well off and living the life you're working towards right now as I'm writing this. And then I read this next line. I wish I had the life you have. Hmm. And that put a lot of things into perspective. A lot of things into perspective. Because Hmm. last September, making a few hundred a month, I went to this September making a few grand per month on my online business. It's amazing. So by the time, you know, it was July, 2021 and I was making enough money online that dad wasn't going to push me to get a job. Sure. You know? So yeah, the, the, the Lord has, who knew that I would be helping dudes not touch their PP <laughs> and making <laughs> money off of it for myself too. Cause I, and you know, and that's one thing that's so great about the, about a coaching business model. Not only am I helping men change their lives in a very real and very powerful way, but because they have decided to work with me and pay me for my time and my services, 
I am then able to take that funding and use it to change my life, mm-hmm. which is so cool. It's so cool. And there have been times that I have bought things and I'll even think to myself like, wow, so-and-so is helping me buy this and a, and a, and a homie, right? Because the people that I work with, like I have some clients where like full-blown, like we get off calls and he's like, all right, love you, hangs up the phone, you know? Because Pete, I mean, and I, and I think I've always kind of known that, right? Like people are gravitated open up to me. And I think that's just one of those mm-hmm. things that God gives people that you ch- that you're not going to explain that you're not going to be able to explain right like i've had people that'll say crazy crazy things you know in either it's in a dm either it's in a phone call or it even could have been you know years prior where people would just open up and they'd be like man i got to talk to you about this and i'm like all right what's going on i get sent mm-hmm. a book and i'm like you're telling me this you know yeah and years later, it checks out, right? Because God has given me the ability to listen to people and hear their pain. But I'm also mm-hmm. able to identify pain points and then give them a, you know words of comfort and then actionable advice that they can then go apply, use, and get themselves out of a rut and get results, which is another mm-hmm. reason why I love coaching. Right. It's I'm giving people those real world shortcuts. And it is awesome. Because they're also giving me some real world shortcuts. You know? It's great. I've worked with clients who um like I've got one dude who owns several e-commerce brands and he's making a lot of money. And like I think at one point he mentioned that he had like read over one of my landing pages and he's like, dude, you did a great job on this. So not like immediate feedback, but it's just, it's just like I'll have clients too that it's so weird where they will ask me, hey, David, how's your evening going? And hmm. I'm like, man, homie thought to ask me how my night's going. Let's go. Like, that's just so cool to me. Yeah. It's a really, um, it's a really special experience. And it's not one that every man gets and not the one that I think every man needs. But to to live in such a way that people want to tell you what's going on with them, you know, that just seems like I share that in common. That it's like for whatever reason, I've been really interested in hearing people's stories for as long as I can remember, and um, and I'm of course also interested in my own story, thinking deeply about the, the the various decisions and flows and thought patterns that made me the man that I am and took me down the roads that I've been down. But one of the things that I've observed happening that I always I just always took it for granted. But, you know, I was at an airport maybe two, three weeks ago, and I was just talking to this woman and like within, I don't know, 20 minutes, she was telling me like her whole life story, basically. It was relevant to the conversation we had struck up. Like we ended up meeting because we were both standby for the same flight and we were kind of following each other around the airport. You know, it's like, oh, what are you doing here? Because we're both trying to get to the same place. And so we just started talking and within like literally within 20 minutes, she was telling me all about her her divorce and her ex-husband who had, you know, the restraining order and the SWAT team and the whole thing, you know, it was a whole big thing. Right. Yeah. It was a whole big thing. And it was, it was an amazing story. And, um, 
And one of the things that made the story so amazing was that she recognized her own accountability in it. It wasn't like, oh, my ex-husband's an asshole and I can't believe he did this. She recognized, you know, that that she had overlooked some red flags in the relationship and she had to deprogram herself from all that, like recognizing her own responsibility for getting there. Very, very cool. Cause not something that happens often. But that aside, um, I was telling one of my friends about that. He's like, dude, people just open up to you. And it's like, it's like, and he said to me, he said, um, he didn't know if he would want that gift. And I never really <laughs> thought of it that way. I never really thought of it that way before. Like, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess there is some gift component to it, you know, but like, it's just always just in my experience of life. Like, I know it doesn't happen to everybody that you sit down and you start talking to someone at the airport and it's like, and you suddenly, you know, everything about them, but, but it's something, it's a way that some men are wired you know, just, uh, I won't just say men, obviously some women are wired that way too, the way some people are wired, mm -hmm. you know, as, as to have, as, as, I don't know how I'd phrase it as to be able to create space for other people's say inner experience. Let's put it that way. You know, mm. th that's just like, okay, you just sit down and you talk to certain people, whether they be therapists or coaches or counselors or, you know, some, some pastors and preachers and priests and all that stuff. And suddenly it just feels like there's all this, the, oh, there's all this space for you or whoever to kind of put their their inner life into it's like in the space but that you and i are sharing right now there's a lot of space between us for us to put ourselves into that and you know you don't get that with everybody you'll talk to people and it's like attempting to talk to a brick wall like why is there no space for me in this interaction or or other people have that experience and you know, I, I, to get to, to the point about some men relate to the world very physically and very intellectually, and there are some men that relate to the world, we'll say emotionally, but in a larger sense, like feelings, you know, and that's that's how much these these men have to give each other. And, and it's really cool that you've discovered that about yourself and the way that, you know, I guess it's the way that you re relate to reality and the way that reality relates to you. And you've been able to actually turn that into your own I mean, we'll, we'll say salvation in a way, redemption, that's probably a better word, your own redemption, your own success and your own forward movement. Like that's exceptional for a 21 or 20, 22 year old man to accomplish, like genuinely so. Yeah. No, thank you so much, man. Thank you so much. God gives everybody gifts and mm -hmm. a lot of people do not pursue them. Yes. And I think. Well, they don't even, they discount them. They don't even think it's a gift. Yeah, this is true. This yeah. is true. And maybe, maybe I was in a period of denial, right? And didn't really want to pursue those gifts. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that, maybe that's a little bit of that. Why God? Why? It's like you have something that you are running from me with, and we're gonna let your world get shook up a little bit, <laughs> so you can start to embrace it. You know, a little bit of a modern day um, spin on Jonah, maybe a little bit there. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one thing too, right? Like for, for people that we do find ourselves like with people connecting to us emotionally on a very deep level. And I do believe that there is a level to that, that all masculine men are going to experience, right? When, when a man gets married, you're going to be the primary, like your wife is going to hopefully in a healthy relationship, she's going to bring a lot of her worries and a lot of her issues to you. And sometimes it is your job to just listen and shut up and don't say anything about fixing the problem. I've seen mm -hmm. enough tweets and I've been around enough married people to know that you do not always jump in with the solution. Um, That's right. They don't want to hear it. Right. And then there are other times where you do offer the solution. But for many men, 
And I know for myself, I do have to be careful with how much um, I am letting other people give me emotionally or energetically. Mm, I know mm-hmm. that I have to take care of my energy and my emotional well-being. Because if I'm not doing so, then if because if my cup's full, then nobody else is going to be able to pour into me. Or I'm, or if my cups, there are two different ways that I could state that analogy, right? Like if my cup's full, mm-hmm. other people can't pour into me. But if my cup's empty, mm-hmm. then I can't pour into them, right? Mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. to be careful of my cup not being empty and full at the same time. Yeah. So I've effectively mm-hmm. made. <laughs> <laughs> an analogy that doesn't make sense but it also makes sense which is always fun. I get it. and i i've joked about that on whenever i would promote my podcast right like be like tune in to listen to me use metaphors that don't make sense <laughs> 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 so you just got one man <laughs> perfect don't let your so, <laughs> my cup is too empty and too full at the same time it's <laughs> some zen koan or something like right you have to you have to channel your energy to understand that's understand right. me um but yeah so i've I've recognized right because i've had dudes who hop on a call and they will cry mm. and that's one of those things where um you like it's sometimes even it's like whoa like, what am i supposed to say what do i say you know because one of the dudes um married man was you know lamenting like his wife was frustrated that he had not quit yet and that was just so hurtful for him because we're talking about an actual addiction you can't just magically mm-hmm. get rid of it you know especially you he know, was he's, he's a bit he's a bit of an older guy right and i've known he was upset some, his, sorry I, I don't want to cut just so to make sure I understand. He was upset that his wife was upset at him, right? That he wasn't able to quit. That's he was upset at her upsetness, right? Or his, he was frustrated with himself or both. He was, yeah, it's a little bit of, it's a little bit of all of that, right? So he was frustrated that he hadn't quit, but he also understood that these things take time. His wife was, is so, was so sick and tired of him being addicted to porn because it was hurting their marriage that he just wanted that she just wanted him to be done with it already, you know, and that oh, okay. was, so, yeah. so the, he was fed know, up with himself and she was fed up with him. You know. Right. And put in a position where she was not extending grace. She was not being understanding. Mm-hmm. She was not being encouraging in that moment. And as a man, when your woman is not offering you those things, whew, that is not fun. Mm-hmm. You know, that hurts. Mm-hmm. That hurts a lot. So right. um, the call was the opportunity for him to let that emotional tension actually go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. healthy, right? Because, you know, and that's one thing too, right? Like back when I was the proponent of Men Cry too, your brain is going to release, you know, chemicals, neurotransmitters that are essentially going to reward you for crying you know i cannot remember any time other than like really bad heartache when i would you know cry my eyes out so hard i'd give myself a headache where i it would it's always like afterwards you do feel better and that's just your body is like you need to let these emotions out one way or another sure there are some guys that can put it in a bottle and screw the cap on and forget about it and that's and that works allegedly Mm -hmm. 
then mm-hmm. there are other dudes that have to actually really, really work through that. Sometimes I get frustrated with how much I have to work through things. Other times I'm also like, okay, emotions aside, what are the practical steps I need to take to actually work towards this? Right. Um, so yeah, I've had people that just full on unload. I've had people that cry on calls. I've had people that will say things, the, fir- the first few things that come out of their mouth. And I'm like, holy moat, like, am I going to, am I going to be able to advise them on this? Mm. Uh, but then I just listen and then I just listen. And then I'll either, you know, recall what's my own experience. What have I experienced anything similar to this? Because I think this is another thing that, you know, I'm the world's only quit porn strategist, right? Mm. So I strategize things and I can identify systems fairly easily, especially when it comes to like problem solving. So that's what I like to do with dudes is I identify their problems. And because I essentially have like a data bank of systems in my head, I'm able to kind of recommend that to people. Well, I love doing it first and foremost, but it's also helpful for just me being the listener and then knowing like, even if it's a problem that I don't have firsthand experience with, I know that there's probably something that I can offer to people, right? Like Mm -hmm. I am working with a client. He is in his late 50s. And he is a pastor, you know, and that's all I'll say on the matter, sure. but someone that like, good grief, he knows I'm 21 years old, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and funnily enough, he listened to a podcast that I was on and that was what, you know, urged him to reach out to me. Um, mm. So who knows where this one will go, right? Like, Hey, you guys need help. Yeah. You know where to find me. Um, but I say that just to kind of like say, like, there are things that he's shared with me when I listen through and I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, but then I just keep listening and I keep listening and I'll think on what they've said and Mm -hmm. dive into that. And then I retell either through my own experience or my own story or offer a system or take one of the systems I have created and then spin it in a way that it's beneficial for them. You know, and I think I think part of that, um, because it's a it's a mutual relationship, right? If you're going to be helped from someone, you have to be open to them helping you. So for people that have more life experience than I do to then come to me and accept my life experience as sufficient to help them with a specific problem, they have to be open and receptive of that. They have to be willing mm-hmm. to accept my energy. To, to, for mm-hmm. that to happen, um, you know, because that was one of the things that was so cool about the first client that I worked through or worked with, where he was like kind of taken back because he was asking, So, how old are you? Are you married? Do you have kids? I was like, No, no, no. Um, and then he would go, Well, you're the expert on this. So, I trust your opinion. I trust what you have to say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's really what that's the mentality that men need to have when it comes to like, getting your problem solved is yes. And like I've mentioned prior, right? Like go to people that you know are going to be able to help you with a specific problem. You are better off taking different problems to different people, in my opinion, to then allow them to help you through that stuff. Or you can have a select few who you're very, very, very close to that you've known for years that you can then unload 
a lot onto, but they also have the, they understand your nuance. They know your story. They know how you solve problems. They know what happens when you're down bad. Um, so they're able to give a more versatile approach, right? So, so there are lots of people that I go to for specific problems. And then Mm -hmm. I have a select few where they are going to have the transparent rundown of what I need help with. And that could be from anything to anything, which I think is Mm -hmm. super helpful um, for myself. Right. And I, and I think that goes to show, right. Like um, in accepting that I'm an emotional dude, I've been able to lean into that and then trust that if this is the method that I get help from the most, then I need to pursue that. I need to be okay with pursuing that because there have been plenty of times where, um, and I know this is very common with just addicts in general, very common Mm -hmm. with the shame cycle is they don't want to open up about something because they either don't want the other person to know or because they don't want, um, it to get in the way of the relationship or because they're just so they're hurting so bad that they don't want anyone to think they're weak because of it. There are a lot of men who are going to negate the importance of quitting porn purely because they don't want to open up to someone else and talk about it. So they're going to just completely neglect the healing process. And that's Mm -hmm. true for many addictions, you know, like how, how many, you know, with dudes that's, you know, like, even even addictions that are like right in your face, right? Like dudes who are clearly alcoholics, but they will say they're not an alcoholic. Ha ha, no, I just, I'm not an alcoholic. But they won't admit to it. They won't get the help they need purely because asking for help for whatever reason has, it's not masculine, right? And that's or, where- or, or they believe it is. They believe right, it's not. Right, right, right. They believe it's not masculine to receive help. Um, and that is where this wonderful renaissance of men is so important is showing dudes like in like a lot of the, a lot of the negatives that came to affect men really came from like, dude, we went through, oh, you know, the great depression and the world wars back to back to back, you know, men did not have a time to really dive in and sort themselves out. They had a, you know, a family to save. They had a world and a nation to save, right? And we, yes, we have a nation to save, but we have more time on our hands. We have more resources available to us where we can actually sit down and get to the root issue of our problems and solve them. Mm -hmm. Um, But so many men, because of the shame of what they've done, because they think, they believe either no one else has done this, I'm unique in my struggles, or whatever it may be. Um, and I'm trying to like articulate, right? Like that those those terrible, terrible, terrible emotions of uh, well, let me think practical example. Like when I get really stressed, right? I tend to stay in my room an awful lot. Um, I won't eat a ton of food just because I'm so focused on solving the problems. But I get to the point where I don't have the energy that I need to actually solve the problems. So I then just get anxious or depressed. And then I put off solving the problems by like watching too much YouTube or taking naps when I don't need to be taking naps. 
And it's all because in my head, it's like, oh, I should be able to solve this problem on my own. I should be able to do this on my own. I shouldn't need to ask other people for help. And then as soon as I realize I need to talk to someone about this. Yeah. And sometimes it's because I know, man, if I'm going to solve this problem, I have to have a conversation with someone that's going to take two and a half hours. And I will think, I don't want to have this conversation because I'd rather spend those two and a half hours working on my business. But then mm. I don't have the energy to actually work on my business. I'm just shitting around, you know, yep. or fucking around. And then I will go have the conversation and I may get mad during the convo. I may get sad during the convo. But without fail, I always have much, much better days afterwards because I've dealt with the mm -hmm. issue. I've gotten rid of the tension. I've brought to surface what other people um, should know so they can help, right? And that's one thing that's so, so important with having meaningful masculine relationships is you want to make sure that you're you are conversing and you are having relationship intimate masculine relationships. And when I say intimate, I mean like you're emotionally close and connected to that individual where you mm -hmm. know like you can tell things to them and they will without a shadow of a doubt help you through or like I've told my friends like if you kill someone I will wait for you when you get out of prison. Um and there's there's a few things like I told them I said there the two things that I was like okay if you make a woman have an abortion then fuck you we're done and the other one is if you rape a woman then fuck you we're definitely done mm -hmm. you know so I made that very clear to them and I think that kind of that's pretty clear made them take a step back they're like oh sh but it's also like I but think if you it's get worth out, but if you get out for murder <laughs> I'll be waiting for you. <laughs> Maybe I need to reevaluate this, but maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I know what you mean. Like you know, you like you, like I my friends used to say, like you know, who's on your who's on your list of like if you're if you're in jail, like who are you calling? You know, like you get one right. phone call, or who's on the who who runs through your mind, right? So there's you know, like if you get a jail for killing somebody, that's I. I I, I am taking that as a figure of speech versus you had two concrete examples of, you know, of legitimate right. wrong action. Yeah, you know, right. You probably, if you, if you, I probably, if you get out for murder, I might not be waiting <laughs> for you. <laughs> Depending we'll on the circumstances like, of this murder. <laughs> I guess when I, I guess the thought process there was like, oh, like self-defense or whatever. Like for some reason, the ends right, justifies right. the means kind of murder. But that yeah, is like <laughs> <laughs> that kind of murder. <laughs> no, I mean, I, not like yeah, a malicious like, murder. Like, oh, are you the person I thought I knew? Like, good grief. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. You know? I think for for men in our circles, it's more realistic to imagine someone that we know, um, you know, being forced to defend them to use deadly force and self defense. You know, it's like okay, I can imagine, but I mean, I guess I could imagine someone doing that that I would keep in my friend circle. But if you're the sort of man that I find out that you've raped a woman or caused a woman to have an abortion, you know, that's the sort of thing that would be kept, I guess, more secret. I, I don't know what the right word I feel is, like, but it's like, I feel like that's, well, I guess to, to dive into this, right? Like the murder, you could say there is a gray area. We just want to break down these two examples. The murder, there could be a gray area in my mind. Right. For there's the a self-defense 
Yeah. Right. For the other two, it's like yes. You like. I hope that happens to you. You know. Right. Kind right. of thing. As opposed For to the sure. alternative, yeah. it's like, well, it could have been X, Y, or Z. You know. Yeah, I mean, ideally, you wouldn't have any friends that do any of those, any right. of those three things. But the two of them are like the, the you know those couple of them like those are those are pretty bright. Those are the brightest lines. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's like a you know we don't need to take, need to take that further because I don't mean to get too derailed off the point that <laughs> we're making about masculine. For no, I mean, I can just imagine someone listening and be like, "Wait a minute!" So I just wanted to call that out. Right? No, that's understandable. And see, that's why you're the host. That's why you're the host. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the representative for myself and for the audience and for the yes. random people in my head. Right. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, yeah, so the importance of masculine relationships. And I think the bigger point that I was making with that, right? Like, oh, if you do this or this, um, like you do want to have boundaries in your relationships, even mm. in your friendship relationships. Because mm-hmm. there have been times where like my friends will be like, hey, do you want to hang out? I'm like, I really shouldn't, but I'm going to because it's been a while since I've hung out with them. Um, and then I end up staying up too late, right? And like, right. oh, you stay up too late, boo-hoo. Dude, if I stay up too late, then I wake up too late. And if I wake up too late, my head's groggy. And if my head's groggy, then I'm not going to perform sure. well on my coaching calls. And if I don't perform well on my coaching calls, then I've let men down on my word, which means I have mm-hmm. betrayed my honor. That's unacceptable. You know, real, so those man. boundaries are important. And sometimes it's sad that other dudes don't get that. Granted, I guess they haven't exactly broken it down as explicitly as I just did there. But yeah, masculine relationships, um, super, super important. And that's one thing that I love doing as a coach, right? Is like, there are some things, and I think this is important for married men to embody as well. And I guess take what I have to say with a grain of salt, because I am not married but I do have that outside perspective, which we've discussed prior um, where, and I've heard enough married men say this, and I know enough married men that practice this, that it is helpful where mm-hmm. it's like your wife's not supposed to be your best friend. Right. Um, like your best, best friend that should definitely be a homie. And she does not need to bear the weight of all of your problems. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's one thing that's helpful with men that are struggling with porn addiction that are married is to let another man in and know. And if the wife knows, and I do, um, I was going to say, I do advise married men to let their wives know, but I'm not going to say that just because that can be very, very tricky. Um, Depends. But I it's have a, that's seen, an accountability thing. Right. It's one of those things where let's, let's say it from this frame, right? Like, in in the context of the importance of masculine relationships and in the context of you don't want your wife to be your go-to like emotional whatever mm-hmm. um or not your go-to emotional whatever but you're like i'm going to unload all of my masculine worries onto you you know right, because no, that can that's be not a great that's, yeah yeah uh, emotional go-to and like hey i need help with this yeah probably more so more so online mm-hmm. so just wanted to clarify that mm-hmm. um but with the porn addiction thing that I was going to say, if you're a dude and your wife knows that you're addicted to porn, huge benefit for her and the just the, the health of your relationship is if you're going to take it seriously and hold yourself accountable to someone else, preferably someone like me, preferably me, you're going to be able to tell her, hey, 
you don't have to worry about this anymore because I am taking mm. it seriously mm -hmm. and I am holding myself accountable to someone else, you know, because your wife does not want to know when the last time you relapsed was or anything like that. A, it's very, detail, very no. hard. Right. And A, it's very, very hard for women to understand, right? Because if there's any big takeaway that I want people to take out of my um, discussion revolving around quitting porn and just porn addiction in general is it does not have hardly anything to do with sex. It is almost yes. exclusively a desire to pursue an emotional release to get rid of negative emotional tension that you do not know how to manage healthily. Mm -hmm. Women don't understand that because it's a man watching videos of other people having sex. And for her, sex is very sacred. Um, so that's being betrayed whenever she thinks of him indulging in that kind of material. Mm -hmm. Unless she used to have a porn addiction and then there can be more empathy or grace extended in that circumstance. But yeah, it's so yeah, that's the big benefit right there is your wife doesn't have to worry about those things. And then a, she is going to see you are a man of action and you're doing something about this. And that right mm -hmm. there will help rekindle any damage your addiction has caused in the marriage. And it's going to, I mean, she's going to get excited about it for you because you can see, wow, he's doing something about this. You know, mm -hmm. she's going to raise an eyebrow. Oh, that's hot. You know, maybe not that exact word or that exact rundown, but it is going oh, to start to admirable. rebuild. Yeah, absolutely. Especially for a woman to see that her man is taking care of shit. That I can, yeah, that's, that's what women like to see, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a lot in, there's a lot in this. Gosh, there's so much. I mean, we've been talking about masculine relationships and and accountability and and the, the, how porn is evil and how it drains your ability to make forward progress and how it's a drug and you know all these things show up in all these different, I guess, very powerful, very powerful ways. And it's almost no wonder that so many men. And you mentioned that that you know the pastor and you know how men have trouble opening up. Like it's it's no wonder because it it almost this one issue touches on so many different aspects yeah, yeah. that you know the con the confession of it not to i mean yes you can use that in a religious sense but just the confession of it to another man or someone that you trust you know the the, the enormous risk that is like will i be judged you know how will this person i'm talking to hold my judgment of myself right like if i'm going to open mm. up to a man about something that i'm struggling with like yes of course the you know Number one is, are they going to judge me, right? And, and hopefully, if it's in a professional relationship with someone who's qualified and skilled, obviously, they're not there. But then what's deeper below that is um, my judgments of myself, like that pain coming out. And then, right. and then somewhere wrapped up in that is what I project the judgments of my loved ones would be. You know, like that's the, that's the real, that's the real molten shit that needs to come out where it's like, that's where the real pain lives, you know, and you got to get right. past that, you know, because it's just, it, because we're, we've, we've talked about it wrecks productivity, like in the best possible right. sense, like your business, your ability to accomplish goals, it wrecks like male relationships in terms of like, are you able to be fully present with your guy friends if you're groggy from jerking off or whatever it affects romantic relationships it affects uh, probably finances it affects your relationship with god like it's yeah like t evil 
yeah, capital E, <laughs> we're, we're, we made yes. it. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, yes. and it, it's, and, and for all these reasons, and it's secretive, you know what I mean? Oh, like you man. can, so you can't even, you can't even tell, like you wouldn't be able to, oh, that dude looks like he's, you know, that dude looks like he's addicted to porn. You know what I mean? Well, Versus like you could smell alcohol. Okay, here you, we go. <laughs> no, porn, please. Porn addicts, you know, because if you want to get really esoteric, right? We've touched base on um, he is wasting his life's energy. And yes. your eyes, gateway to the soul, right? Mm. The That grogginess or that spiritual detachment or that waste of energy, you can almost see it in some dudes mm-hmm. where yes like that's for could, sure yeah like and maybe not so much so like they're a porn addict um but you can see like that is a dude who is struggling and it's and i tell you man it's so different between seeing a dude who's struggling who you can you can energetically tell that they're struggling and they do not want to be where they're at versus someone who is struggling but they have embraced the struggle to their detriment. Like, you know, for me to be very vocal about my stance, right? Like I was at Mm -hmm. um, a supermarket the other day and a dude wearing jeans that were way too tight, a shirt that was probably a woman's shirt, had a masculine haircut, but was, you know, makeup like face paint and fingernail polish. Like you, Mm -hmm. you could tell, like that is a dude who, needs something he's struggling with something mm-hmm. but he's embraced the struggle to his detriment right like you could just Got tell it. like he and like even the way that he looked at me i was like mm, mm. Mm-hmm. i did it. not like it yeah you can feel mm-hmm. it man um and that's where you can get into the whole like with christians right Let's mm-hmm. let's knock on our brothers and sisters in Christ for a while here. Let's um, do it. <laughs> Rack them up. Pretty sure we can judge Christians. Pretty sure we're called to do that. Um, <laughs> we're brace yourself for Christian judgment hour, right? Yeah, but so Christians, we largely don't care about demonic influence anymore it's not it's not talked about nearly enough right and like i know christians who used to be pagans who used to practice you know voodoo or they used to practice witchcraft or druidism and they will tell you like demons are still doing their stuff you know and like oh yeah they are like in and some people may make the comparison to the New Testament versus in, in the Old Testament, right? Like, yeah, you can say that. Because a lot of people think, oh, well, the New Covenant, God destroyed those things. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, the apostles burned the books of sorcerers, right? Like, you can explicitly read through that. Like, they burned their books of magic where they would cast spells and whatnot. Um and I remember one time I made a tweet sometime around this time last year, actually, I think it was in December, where I said, unpopular p- opinion, Christians shouldn't watch horror movies. And Pat Stedman commented under that, and I'll never forget 
um, what he said. He said horror movies are a vector for dark energy. Fuck you know, yeah, if you want to get, yeah, fuck yeah, they are exactly. Um, because like, I don't know if you like, and I haven't like explicitly dove into this rabbit hole just because dark energy. I do not want to entertain it. Mm. Um, not because oh, I'm scared of it. No, the blood of Jesus protects me. Amen, hallelujah. But I don't want to be derailed Amen, by it. Yeah. yeah, feels good, man. Um, mm-hmm. But like, there are people who they're on the set of those horror movies where they're specifically dealing with um, the big bad being a demon and then unexplainable things start happening on the movie set and then unexplainable Mm -hmm. things start happening to the actors and then the actors commit suicide, Mm -hmm. things like that. Like that absolutely 100% happens. And then it's absolutely Mm -hmm. 100% accredited to demonic oppression Um, Mm -hmm. and even demonic possession. You know, like I, there was one time um, around election time last year, my dad was watching the news, Fox News, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I walked past the screen and I, there was this dude that was on there, just a decrepit old man. And I said, that man is possessed by demons. And dad's like, mm-hmm. oh, don't say that. I'm like, mm-hmm. you think I'm wrong? He's like, just, just don't, don't, don't say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and for him, it's not because he doesn't believe it. I think it is more so like, the energy protection of not wanting to entertain those thoughts mm-hmm. um, because yeah, dude, like if anything people and yeah, we say wrestle with your demons, but there are a lot of people who are wrestling with demons, you know, spirits, real of, ass demons. Yeah. And like yeah. spirits that are causing problems, um, you know, and I'm not like too woohoo on any of this stuff. It's just something that has been more recently brought to my attention. And I think it's worth raising other people's consciousness in this area. Like you do need to be careful with things that are explicitly dealing with demons. And you do need to recognize that some of your problems can very well be caused by, you know, demonic influence. And, and like, you know, because if you want to, I've heard it said like, you know, there are demons of, varying different strengths or hierarchies right the armies of hell so you'll have weak demons and then you'll have head honchos like satan you know right so even just stuff like that you know people oh well demons we don't have to worry about them yeah you do have to worry about them especially if you're a christian you know i'm i'm new to christianity right like i was baptized like last year i wasn't born christian i was born jewish in fact you know so i've lived a good number of years you know without without being Christian, but I went through enough faiths and really tried them all like for what they were, you know, it wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. It was just like, my life led me through all these different faiths that I was like, okay, what's going on in here. And then finally it was in early 2020 that I was finally led to Christ and I was baptized in September. And I've never been, I've never been happier spiritually. So it's been a real, a real blessing for me. And, um, but what's interesting is I, I have all these, I guess judgments, I don't know the right word, evaluate. It's like evaluations, judgments, because a judgment apply a judgment implies something negative. But there are things that I observe where, like if you look at Christian aesthetics, they're very they have no angst in them. Like, what is it about Christian aesthetics? If you look at a bookshelf full of Christian books, you know what I mean? It's like I'm looking at this and it's like it just feels empty. They may or may not be empty, but there's an emptiness and it feels like there's an emptiness in the music and an emptiness in so many of the churches. It's just kind of 
there's there's no substance to it. And what I finally identified for myself was that, um, and this might have just been yes, no, I identified part of it yeah, a, a while ago, which is that there's no angst in so much of what Christians do. You can look at the way they dress, and it's like there's no angst, there's no edge, you know, to it at all. And right. then I was thinking about it last night as I was driving. And then I connected that with the reluctance of most Christians, born Christians, raised Christians, um, denominations, the reluctance to really talk about anything negative in spiritual terms. Like they won't talk about like, oh yeah, no, Satan, Lucifer, real, real, real being, you know, demons are real things. They just don't talk about it. It's like, but there are so many other, I mean, you can go onto Twitter and you can find people talking about entities and demonic possession, and UFOs or demons and all that stuff. But it seems like the people who should be talking the most about it are the most reluctant to talk about it. And it's like, you guys need to be talking about this because we're having the whole conversation around porn and evil. And it's like, how can the people who we would expect to be the ones to defend themselves, at least communities, humanity, from evil be the ones that are least likely to actually acknowledge it and call it what it is. Like they're right. averse to calling it what it is. Like, oh, I don't want to get into negativity. It's like, no, you have to get into negativity. Like you have to find you have to find your way out of it. You can't stay right. in there. You know, but you you have to confront it head on. It doesn't if you cover your eyes and say, I'm just going to be positive, that there's a term for that. And the term is spiritual right. bypassing. I think part of it, right? Like one thing you mentioned, there's no like aesthetics to Christians. Um, that you know the churches Protestant, Protestant Christians. Okay, right. Yeah, because Catholics think, and Orthodox they're they're big on aesthetics. This is true. This is true. They understand the importance of beauty because beauty is a creation of God and it ought to be celebrated. Yes. Um, a lot of you know modern Christians, we are too caught up in trying to be something that we're not, and that's largely because mm. out of out of our the 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 goodness of our hearts, we want to attract as many people as possible to the faith. But oh, in okay. today's world, doing so, doing that requires cutting out a lot of the stuff that is going to upset the majority of the people. Because modern society is so laden with sin, with corruptness, with evil. Evil yeah. is everywhere. Yeah. Um, that you can't exactly call out certain things. Like even, even my, like I can even feel my hesitancy. I don't want to explicitly address certain things that other Christians will be like, oh, like the comment sections. It's like homosexuality being a sin, you know, like we don't dive in. And I, I don't only say that just because it is so, um, because so many people go to it and not because here I am justifying myself. Good grief. You know, I get caught, you get caught right. in these loop, feedback loops. Um, well, it's cancellation. The cancellation looms over all of us. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I this get, is true. You, this is true. It's true. Right. Right. And I guess I should even preface that with, yes, I bring up homosexuality being a sin. And I 100% will tell you that lust is a sin. Committing adultery yeah. is a sin. You know, right. cheating on your spouse is a sin. Covetousness is a sin. Um, mm -hmm. I grew up in a very, well, after the crash of 08, my family was very, very poor. So I have a bit of a scarcity mindset. So there are times mm -hmm. where I will get really greedy and I will hold on to my money and I will not share it. I will not give it to people. I will not even buy things mm -hmm. for myself. And mm -hmm. when that happens, that I know that's not a good place for me spiritually or mentally because it's stressful. It sucks. It's like, I won't even, you know, 
do things that benefit me with my money. Like I'll, there'll be times where I won't go places because I know, oh, I have to put money and I, or I have to use my money to buy gas, you right. know, and I don't want to do that because I want to save my money. Even when I look at my savings account, which by the way, I should not have money in my savings account. I should be investing in assets, <laughs> but the scarcity Bitcoin. mindset, man, I know, yeah. but the scarcity yeah. mindset, it's like, you know, it's, it's, everybody's got their, their little things they need to work through. And I know that for me, yeah, and that can absolutely tie into greed, right? Because it's like, I'd rather have the money than not. Um, so yeah, I just say like a lot of Christians, we will not, we won't, we won't start on us on the, on the right foot. We won't start with the, with the strong hit, you know, cause sometimes that's what people need is they need a hit in the stomach or they need to be, you know, punched in the throat. They need yep. to be shaken, woken up. Um, and sometimes that does require someone to like very blatantly make the statement and call it out to their face. And then that requires them to get pissed off at them and then to deny mm-hmm. it for the situation to then get worse for them to then realize that they do need help. Um, and there are many different ways that we can help people. Right. And I, I think we, we look at this in my opinion, right, from a masculine perspective and a feminine perspective, I think the masculine perspective is for us to go punch people in the throats and tell them how it is and hope they <laughs> metaphorically. get metaphorically. <laughs> yeah, metaphorically. metaphorically right, metaphorically <laughs> speaking. Um, yeah, I think the masculine approach is for us to be like, you know, hey, Will, you need to X, Y, and Z, or you're sending an X, Y, and Z. And then ideally, yep. you then go and solve that issue in in an even better situation i would bring to light your sin and then i would be like but i love you and i'm going to help you through this what what needs to happen um of course i'm going to relay the responsibility to you 100 percent, right and i and i even have to share that with my clients like i don't offer cheap fixes i give solutions and at Mm -hmm. the end of the day if you're going to be a bum and you're not going to apply what i teach you you are not going to quit porn and you mm-hmm. may get mad at me because of that, but it's your fault. So the masculine approach, you say it how it is, and then ideally you then extend a helping hand. Um, and you say it how it is, knowing damn well that you may piss people off. True. And that may, that may even turn them off to the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where it's like, yeah, it's the church. They wanna, We want to grow. We want to let as many people in as possible, which I'm 100% for. We should. Wow. But there does come a point in time where some of the people we let in are going to do damage and get rid of the people that should stay in. You know. Well, this is the this is the muscular Christianity thing where it's like once there's something very feminine about saying, "Well, we need to get everyone in at at any cost," right? Like it's not wrong. Right. Like obviously, we need to get as many people through the door of salvation as possible. That's that's some form of moral, spiritual, theological call. And at the same time, though, if you're sacrificing the speaking of truth, you know, or or your let's put it this way, you're prioritizing people's comfort over truth. That's very feminine, right? Because the the mother that we were talking about, like it's it's the mother's always there to make sure you're okay, you know, to cook your food and and, you know, and and you're Mm -hmm. and 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 all that. Like, and that's a wonderful mothering function, but it has to be balanced by the the father function, which is to lead the child, boy or girl, into the world and to confront reality as it is, right? And so you need a, a healthy balance of both. So the church being so feminized 
you know, will avoid saying that anything that makes people uncomfortable for feel that they'll leave. But the truth, like anything other than the truth is not transformative. The goal is not to get people saved and to tick a box. Right. It's to transform them into the image of Christ. And the way that you do that is by telling them the truth. Only the truth transforms. And so if you're, and, and transformation is fucking uncomfortable, but you know what? Oh, like, yeah. That's what leads to better human beings. And so if you're leading people into a church environment where you're giving them platitudes and empty, edgeless kind of content that keeps them numb, but at least, hey, they said, they said that they accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's all we got to do. It's like, no, that's not all you have to do. Your responsibility, not you, you, but it could be you, you, mm-hmm. but my responsibility or a pastor's responsibility is your responsibility is to transform people and you must tell them the truth to transform them. And, and if you're not willing to do that, if you're not make, willing to make people uncomfortable, you're not doing your job. I mean, I feel pretty comfortable saying that it's, you know, it's, it's your job mm-hmm. as a pastor, a priest or, or whatever to give people the truth in the right way so that they receive it and that they're transformed by it. But, you know, you can't make all of your sharing of it based on like, well, is this message going to be acceptable? Cause you're right. Sometimes you do have to punch people, let's just say bop them on the nose instead of punching them <laughs> in the throat. You know what I mean? Sometimes you need to Why does punching them in the throat the- make them uncomfortable? you know what i mean get their attention right and (laughs) that's the thing is i i i see so many people these days christian or not that are so reluctant to admit the existence of evil oh it's just a it's a coincidence or oh it's just a collective incompetence and that's a whole other conversation but it's like no it's it's evil i mean you know it's it's it would be convenient to dismiss all of these things as evil and to dismiss you know some of the stuff that goes on in porn or horror movies is just like oh it's just creativity or whatever but if you really see with the right eyes you can see very clearly that it's demonic you can see you can Mm -hmm. see demonic i mean i've got we talk about this stuff all day it's like dude demonic possession demonic possession all day and that when you were to bring that into an actual church that would make many people uncomfortable many pastors uncomfortable many churchgoers uncomfortable when they should be the ones who are like no it's they're demons and i suppose i i should now say that i feel lucky to have found the Christian community that I did. In fact, I met them at Burning Man. They had been running a, a ministry at Burning Man for 12 years, and that's how I met them. And they are very comfortable talking about demons. They're, I mean, no problem at all. And it's like, oh, it's okay, good. here are people. Yeah, so that's that was my doorway in because they spoke my language. And I think maybe more people paradoxically would be interested in getting involved in Christianity if they felt that Christianity was telling them the truth rather than coddling them. And maybe, you know, maybe there's a lot mm, to say for that. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. Mm. Yeah. Cause there's already, there already are a lot of people who are, um, open to the idea and the notion of spirituality, you know, and even just the, that their lives are influenced by the planets and things like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of people who are already, they already know that there are spirits or that there are things out there, you know, ghosts, woo, witches. Um, people will, oh, ha ha, we keep word funny, you know, and it's like, good grief, you're entertaining demons. Like, that's like, I have Christian friends that will like full, like mess around. They'll part- they'll use a Ouija board or mm. they'll watch horror movies. Mm. And I'm like, and I'll tell them those, that is, it's evil. It's evil. And they're like, nah, you're just yeah. scared. Motherfucker, fuck you. 
scared my ass. I'm, you know, covered in the blood of Jesus, and you are willingly letting That's this right. into your soul. That's right. Not going to make frustrating. it Now boarding. Brian. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. Well, I mean, that's what was 2020, but like hell is empty and all the devils are here. That's exactly what it was, you know, and there some people, well, hopefully people will have woken up to it by now. If you haven't woken up to it by now, like, I don't even know what to say. You're probably not listening to this podcast if you haven't woken up to now. So it's like, that's, you know, so it's like real stringency with like, okay, you know, maybe in 2019, Ouija boards were cute, but now you don't know who's on on the other end of the line. You know, maybe in, you know, I've I've had many experiences with ayahuasca and, and uh, maybe prior to 2020, that was okay. I can't blanket say that it's a bad idea because one guy was, you know, was saved when he was on ayahuasca and found Jesus. So I can't, I can't speak to that fully, but I can say that like, are you really going to open yourself up on all those levels right now, given the environment being the way it is? In fact, I was on the Breaking Beta podcast a couple days ago and he asks, would you, he asked, would you ever do like you know, mushrooms or psychedelics again. And I said, I will only do mushrooms under very, very, very specific circumstances. Yeah. Only with a circle of brothers, only with a supervisor, with like a shaman or some sort of sober right. babysitter. I agree. And only for the purposes of babe, of, of brotherhood. I wouldn't just like, oh, I'm just going to pop some mushrooms and go walk right. around I the agree. forest right now. For the same reasons, for the same reasons that our spiritual yeah. environment is polluted with demons, you know, or negative entities or whatever you want to call them in a way that I think we can all feel but that maybe has never happened in human history. And that's kind of, that's kind of pretty shocking actually now that I hear myself say that. Right. You know, and that's, and that's interesting that you bring up the um, psychedelic thing. Cause I have like, there's this dude on YouTube psyched substances and he'll like make videos of it. And I think it's very interesting, you know, cause I've, I've smoked weed um, sure. and it's nothing like what I was told it would be like. And mm. I will admit that taking those tokes, or what opened my eyes to holistic health. And now the holistic right. health has been able to replace the even just like, oh, I could smoke with the homies. It's like, hey, I can take magnesium in an hospital and I'm going to have a great day, you know, yeah. because I've addressed, you know, those um, those underlying chemical components in my brain, which is even something that I tell my clients to do is I'll give them supplement recommendations uh, but yeah, I think it's interesting with the psychedelics, right? Because I've watched the dude and like, cool dude. I'm I I approve of what he's doing, just kind of raising mm-hmm. awareness to it in general. But he made a point where, like, before he's like, before you take your mushrooms or whatever, you should ask that the mushrooms reveal to you what you want from this trip, or that they show mm-hmm. you things about yourself. And I was like, so let me get this mm-hmm. straight. You're praying to those motherfucking mushrooms. <laughs> And yeah. it's like, and what are you not a Christian, but you'll pray to your mushrooms? Like, I understand you yeah. can get a more visceral spiritual experience from doing a hallucinogenic substance, a psychedelic substance. But that doesn't mean that you can't experience um, God or even demons in your current state of consciousness, in your current reality. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I like, for instance, when the Bible blew the pages in the wind, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that I I did that multiple times, multiple times, where, and I I journaled it down too. I could go through my journal and I could pull out all like the paper trail. This is where the wind took this page. This is where the wind took this page. Every single time the wind blew the page, 
and it would settle enough for me to actually read, mm-hmm. it was something I needed to hear. So yeah. needless to say, I was, you know, touched and cried an awful lot that week. Cause I was like, God, I can't believe you've done this, but I can't believe you're doing it in such a powerful way, mm-hmm. you know, cause he used it. Um, and then there are other times, like I remember, uh, and this is just a weird kind of like side note, but I think it's worth bringing up since we're on the topic of like spirituality and demons. So me and my mother look very, very similar. In fact, when I don't have a beard, I basically look, well, not just like her and not even because my sure. hair is long, but just very similar facial structure, especially when I was younger. Yeah. And I look like my we, dad. I was at, yeah, I get it. Right. So, and I was at, um, my grandma's house so her mother's house where we stayed with her for like a week in the summer and i would she had she mom used to have like a boy cut um so i was looking at her old photos on the wall and this was also coincidentally when i was kind of struggling with like or i was just starting to accept that i'm a very emotional man i was starting to find Mm -hmm. comfort and strength in that right but i saw these photos of my mom with her short hair and I still had my long hair, but it was like, she looked kind of more like me when I did, when I had short hair. So the parallels were a little closer. I was like, Mm -hmm. man, I really look like mom. Mm -hmm. Um, And for whatever reason I started to think, and it's, it's, I don't even, I'm going to say it, but I'm like hesitant just because it's one of those things, but I know it needs to be said. Mm -hmm. I had questions in my head consciously. Maybe I was supposed to be born a woman. Mm -hmm. Never, Mm -hmm. ever, ever, ever fucking questioned this before. Right. And this was like a solid week or so. I had these questions. Was I supposed to be born a woman? Mm, and like, not wow. like I'm going to act on it, but I was thinking this. Um, and then when we finally got home, I was journaling and I was super tired. And I could feel this like presence settling over me. And mm. I, the thoughts of like transgenderism were running through my head like crazy. Mm-hmm. And I realized this is a demon. Mm-hmm. I cast it out and the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. leave me alone. Guess who hasn't had a thought about that since, mm-hmm. you know, you know, cause mm-hmm. demons are powerless in the, in the name of Jesus in the presence of his blood. Absolutely. You know, it was, so it was Pat Stedman, it was Pat Stedman who taught me that phrase, the blood of Christ. You know, yeah. he said, he said to you that that phrase has very specific power and I've, I've validated it many times, by the way, just as an aside, you know, um, you mentioned you you mentioned earlier about how um, you try to avoid religion with your methods because you want to reach as, as broad an audience as possible. And I I, I mm-hmm. you know I I grapple with that. I don't not so much in my in my methods because I, I think in in the coaching that I do, you know, there isn't really a whole lot of room for religion in, in quite that way. Like there's ways to you know weave in various what we might call spiritual or religious technologies without ascribing it to a particular religion. But you know I, I think. You know, at least in the content that I create, you know, struggling with like, well, how Christian do I be? Because I could be, I could be pretty Christian. You know what I mean? Right. But I think these conversations, I think these conversations are really important because I think men are, um, they're not used to hearing here. I don't think they're used to hearing men of of spiritual conviction. And when I say men of spiritual convi- conviction, I mean men of spiritual conviction. Right? right. You know, you're used to wishy washy kind of like airy fairy kind of stuff like that. It's like no, no, like I'm a warrior for Christ. You can be right. those things. And, and I don't mean Amen. that in any metaphorical sense. You know what I mean? Like, like I fight the battles. I fought many battles inside myself, like you, in terms of like having intrusive thoughts. Like there was a, there was a, 
there was a there was a, a series there was a time when I was studying the tarot and Kabbalah. So the tarot was like the pictorial version of the Kabbalah. And so I studied it every day for two years. And I found myself thinking, like, this was like just last week that when I was doing that, I was living in San Francisco at the time, there were very similar intrusive thoughts in my mind, you know, like, go do this, go do this, go do that. And I was like, I haven't had those thoughts in a really long time. And I realized that, that it was like a real present thing. And I wonder if like doing some of those occult practices, you know, which were, they were helpful for me at the time, but like, I wouldn't mess with that now. In fact, Mm -hmm. I cleaned out my apartment very recently and I, I had all my teachings, all the printed teachings that I had got from those times. I threw them all out. I threw them all out. I was like, I, you know, they were, they were meaningful to me because they represented a time in my life, but I was like, nope, they got to go. And so I tossed right. them all. But I wonder like, you know, if open yourself up to, um, you know, occult practices, you know, the Ouija board, like you said, like right now, especially in this environment, you're kind of inviting communication from disembodied entities. Let's put it that way. Let's put it in the most neutral, neutral term. You are inviting communication from disembodied entities. How can you know who's talking to you and what they want? How good is your spiritual discernment versus like, hey, you could just like talk to Jesus and you can talk to God and be pretty sure they're going to want the best for you. You may not like, you may not like, as you said, about being angry at God. You may not like what they want for you, but that's something you have to go through, you know, in order to get to the better place. Like that's your trial, but like you're talking, you you know, you're, you're doing some divination, like, um, you know, astrology or your, or a Ouija board or, you know, tarot card readings or something like that. You know, who's, who's on the other end of that line? You know what I mean? Who's, right. You don't know. You don't, you don't, are they on your side? I, I don't know. I, I, I would have to wonder if it's like, let's just assume that you're commuting with some, communicating with some benign being. Like, how do you know? How do you really, really know right. that that being that's clothed in light is really clothed in light? I mean, beyond like the one dude you can rely on is Jesus. Blood Amen. Of Hallelujah. Amen. Right. And guys don't <laughs> get that. This probably no, sounds don't. super crazy. They don't get that. It's like you go messing with dark forces, you know, but there's a couple guys that are on your team and you can just talk to them and it's super easy. So that's the, that's the point that I try to make to guys. It's like, you know, you don't got to go messing with, um, look, I, maybe I have some Norse pagans listening to me and, you know, look, I know what Norse symbology is. I know how the runes work. I know it's a symbolic language. I know it's used for manipulating your consciousness. And I know it's used for petitioning to various Norse gods. How do you know those gods are good guys? You don't, you don't know that those gods are good guys. In fact, there's only one good guy and that's God. And, and, and God sent Jesus as the ultimate good guy on, on earth. Yeah. And why do you need more than that? You know, I guess, and I, I know the answer to that is that a lot of people have really bad experiences with Christianity growing up for all the reasons that we're mentioning, where it's like, there's no edge to it, you know, wishy-washy, hypocrisy, you know, an unwillingness to look at dark truths. And, you know, and, and while meanwhile, being so dark behind the scenes is like, we don't talk about evil. We don't talk about any of this stuff. Meanwhile, the pastor is having an affair or doing whatever. And so it's understandable why people will have that association with Christianity and will abandon it for other for other faiths, you know, but I think conversations like this are start to, are what might start to bring men back. Like, no, there's actually something here and we're bringing that back as well as masculinity. Right. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, and even, even with what you mentioned with people being turned off by the church, part of that is even they're turned off by it because they don't want to, or they're turned off because it's too restrictive. They want to be able to indulge. Like, hmm. 
they want to be able to watch porn or hook up or fornicate yeah. or do an insane amount of drugs or whatever that may be. They yeah. want to indulge. And they look, if I've got it right, and if, if it's got to be said, then by all means, part your ways from the church and go have a taste of the hedonic treadmill. Go run on it for <laughs> have a taste of it. See yeah. see what I mean with mixed up metaphors? Taste of the hedonic treadmill. Yeah. <laughs> go run Tastes on it terrible. for a while. <laughs> I like it having probably a taste does of the taste terrible. Those shoes are probably disgusting, man. The feet that walk <laughs> on that thing. Uh, the smell. I might name uh, this, I'm going to name this podcast a taste of the hedonic treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see, see who catches it. <laughs> see who makes it to like a two and a half hour mark. That's yeah. awesome. Um, but anyways, along that line, right? Like at that point, you almost need to just tell people like, go and go yeah. do it. Go mm-hmm. watch porn six times a day. Go do drugs, you know, get caught in your escapisms. Go see what that's like. Um, and then just fall into the pit of realizing this is not a life worth living. And then recognizing, is it hard to get out of those circumstances? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of people who, you know, they don't embrace the challenge of coming out of those things. Or they don't want mm-hmm. to and they willingly stay stuck in it. But I know for a fact that me, you know, climbing out of porn addiction and everything else I've struggled with, I've came back on the other side stronger. And this is mm-hmm. one thing that I, um, in October, right? Most recent month we just went through. I got sick, pretty sure I had COVID. And unfortunately, it kicked my ass. Um, and like my lungs are still not 100% right now, which is really stupid. Um, mm. But so I was I was just upset because I'm very... Uh, I'm a very driven, passionate individual, right? And I love my business. Mm. So my business doesn't do well. That affects me personally, you know, because I guess mm-hmm. I am my business, right? And so I was, um, I was kind of lamenting that. And oh shoot, I was making like a overarching point, lamenting the business, getting caught in it, wasn't doing well. Um, October was a specific point I wanted to make. Uh, catch me up again. <laughs> Well, we were talking about we we're talking about demons and bringing men back to the demons, church and Christianity. Back to the church, speaking, yeah, speaking truth and masculinity yeah. and Christianity. Right. There was one you know, specific but, thing in October that I was going to reference that I got distracted on when I mentioned I was sick. Mm, I can't think what of what happened it? to you in October. I know I was just. I know I was stressed during October because I was I was sick for like two weeks. The first week was feverish. Yeah didn't have the mental energy that I needed. And then the second week I would get like breathing episodes where it felt like I had holes in my lungs where I'd have to go like lie down on my bed and just Mm. focus on breathing. And then my sinuses would hurt. It was just awful. Um, Mm. But there was some overarching point that I was going to make that I can't remember. Hmm. Um, Oh, well, maybe it'll hit me like the last one did. Keep keep And it came back to me too, so. Right, yeah, it keeps doing on it. Um, but yeah, at, at some point, you know, I do think people and I do think men, you know, they need to wrestle with their demons. And then there are men who need to wrestle with God. 
right? And like uh, mm. I've wrestled with God, mm. I'm sure you've wrestled with God to the extent mm. where you do need to I and I think I think you need a healthy criticism if you're going to be a man of faith, if you're going to commit yourself to a religion or an entity, a deity, whatever it may be. Because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. God and Jesus are just figures floating around in the sky. Um, one way mm-hmm. or another. And like I say that at a very, 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 very baseline, completely negating sure. their power, things like that. Just dudes floating around in the sky, right? That that apparently can make stuff whenever they want. Um, but they have they they want what's best for you. And for a man, that can be very hard to see. Or it can also be the alternative where it's like you think you know what's best for you. Mm-hmm. And it can be very hard to submit to someone else's will, especially mm-hmm. when that someone is for many people, many people don't have a personal relationship with their creator or with Jesus, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And that's one thing that I'm glad that I have, but I've also been conscious in that. I know for a fact that for me, it was a very big realization when I um, figured, hey, if I'm mad, I need to tell God about this. If I'm mad mm-hmm. at God or mad that he allowed something, I think that's the most appropriate way to phrase that. Mad that God allowed something. Mm-hmm. Then I need to communicate mm-hmm. that. Because if I don't, then that can turn into resentment. And like mm-hmm. when I say like communicate and like Christians listening, say whatever you want, right? But there have been times I've full blown just like cussed it out in my prayers. Now, I've never cussed at God because it, if if so, you know, strike me down. <laughs> Please don't take that probably, literally. <laughs> probably not a good idea. Probably not a good idea to cuss at God. Not, right. not being a spiritually aware man. That doesn't go well. Right. You have right. But I say that like. Right. I say that, but like, I've totally been like, oh, I can't believe all this fucking shit's happening. I'm so fucking pissed off. And like, I've, I've had that in my prayers. Um, but that's also an authentic expression of my emotions in that. So that's me wrestling with God. Right. Got it. Okay. You know, and that's, and I, and I believe that's necessary, especially for that personal relationship. Because as my personal relationship with Jesus has deepened, I have been able to go out into the woods and feel just a deep, deep sense of peace. So much so that the next day there is a longing in my soul. Go back to the woods. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I need to go back to the woods. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I need to be more comfortable with going in the cold, getting out in the cold so I can go back into the woods. (laughs) I don't like the cold, man. Um, Me either. But yeah, there's a lot of men that, and yes, and there's a lot of people that hold grudges with God mainly because they don't understand what he's doing. Yep. And I do mm-hmm. believe that requires like a certain level of just awareness and awareness within yourself. Um, and that also, so awareness that you have power and control to change your circumstances. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's, mm-hmm. this is the way that I like to view things with, with God. Um, God allowed certain things to happen that put me in a position to take action. Had I not taken action, there's no telling what would have happened, right? Like had God Mm -hmm. not allowed the cancellation to take place and Mm -hmm. I'd done nothing about it. Woe is me. Um, Mm -hmm. I can't say I'd be on this podcast with you. 
That's right. You know, I can't say I would be, be the world's only quit porn strategist. Exactly. I could actually be resenting God and, you know, and, and cursing at him, which would be very mm-hmm. bad. But instead, God put me in a position where I had a choice. Either you take action because I have allowed the these cards to be dealt to you or you don't, right? And I took action, man. I ran with it. Mm-hmm. I ran with it. Uh, and that's I think that's also a very empowering position for men too, right? Because if you recognize that God allowed something to happen and put you in a position where you can take action, then it's not like God is just giving you or it's not like God's pulling all the strings. And is God pulling all the strings? I'm not God, so I can't explicitly say. That's where right. I, that's why I and this is what's so funny, right? People get caught up on how do you explain this? Well, you know, God is beyond our understanding, so I can't explain that. For other people, that's a huge turnoff. For me, I am so glad that I can use that card. You know, God right. is beyond my understanding. I don't need to have an explanation for it. And I just say that because I was like, is God pulling all the strings or is he pulling some? Then he lets us pick which strings get pulled. And I don't have the answer to that. And I, and I know there's a lot of, you know, there are splits in, in um, Christian ideology based off of, you know, the notion of free will. How can we have free will? But God is able to see everything and he's able to orchestrate everything if we have the ability to choose. So I like to think that God kind of sets the table and then uh, he he levels the playing field or whatever. I think I'm messing up my metaphors even more. Um, <laughs> but I think a taste he sets of the treadmill it up. Now. A taste of the treadmill. A taste of the hedonic treadmill. <laughs> you got to make that the title. I hope so. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> no one's going to understand King David in the taste of the hedonic treadmill. <laughs> It sounds like a that sounds like a pretty awesome or terrible kid's story. I can't tell. Right? Which. Sounds like an adult film that you know you shouldn't watch, but it'd be way too funny to pat. Not adult film. I mean, like an R-rated comedy. Get a film for adults. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want anybody to think. Oh no, King David said that'd be a funny adult. No, you're just misunderstanding right, right, me right. now, guys. Um, yeah. No. The question. The question of free wills is a tough one. I mean, I have. My, I have. I have my answer for that. Like, and I got it from C.S. Lewis and C.S. Lewis. I'm not sure which book it was. I think it, I don't know that it was mere Christianity, but it might've been. And for for those of you who have not read mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, I recommend you do that as soon as possible. But he talks about, um, and this is also, you can also find this in the book, the Silmarillion, which is by Tolkien. He, uh, but C.S. Lewis says, um, God is basic good. And he says, basic good takes basic evil arising from creatures, which is us, and turns it into complex good. So, so like God is basic good. God is just good. We will do evil, right? You know, we'll, we'll sin at large scale and small scale, but right. God, through through the miracle of of faith and through engaging with the process, will transform that basic evil into a good that would not have otherwise existed. So this is this is this is the core reason why I'm a Christian is that's the whole story of the fall and redemption. So uh, there's the apple in the garden. You know, humans are given free will to eat the apple. They eat the apple, they fall into they fall into sin. Then Jesus Christ comes and offers redemption to humanity. Humanity is redeemed. The story of humanity falling and being redeemed 
is a more beautiful cosmic story than if humanity had simply remained in the garden forever. That possibility of fallen redemption is the beautiful tale, and the beauty was built into it from the very from the very beginning. And that, that that's been my own mm. life. Like it was the worst things that have ever happened to me were the doorways through which the best things were able to enter, or for which I through which I was able to enter the best things. And that's faith. That's only faith that gets you there. Is that this terrible thing has meaning? That no matter what I've done, or no member, no matter what's been done to me, if I actively engage with the process, if I actually, if I actively engage with God, like what's it, is it Jacob? Jacob wrestles with the angel, right, and wrestles with the angel all through the night and right. in the morning. You know, the angel touches his hip, and it's like, okay, you know, you, I win. But, you know, because you didn't give up or something like that, you know, I'll give you a blessing. And the blessing is he becomes Israel. He wrestles with the angel. He wrestles with God. And that's the thing is if you engage actively with the process through whatever you've gone through, then it will turn out to be the best thing that ever happened. And you have, there's cancer patients that say this all the time. They say, my cancer diagnosis, you know, was the best thing to ever happen to me. I would never wish it on anybody, but it was the best thing to ever happen to me. Right. Why? Because redemption is built into the fabric of the universe. That's how God built the universe. And like that to me is like as much proof of God as you need. So the free will question of why would God allow this to happen? God allowed that to happen, allowed you to make that choice so that you could have the possibility of redemption, but it takes a sacrifice of pride to get there, to say there is mm -hmm. a God and to, you know, to allow yourself to surrender to that. That's how I answer that question. I think one thing to kind of even just even kind of just keep playing off this whole men and Christianity and Christianity being weaker than it should be. Mm -hmm. um, I think more. No, I think I'm trying to make a specific point, but I don't think I have a <laughs> specific point. It's okay. Reach for it. Um. Yeah. There's but there's something that I am alluding to. I think one of the reasons why people, why men especially, can struggle with why did God allow this bad thing to happen is because they're, they haven't realized that they can do something to then change the circumstances or that they can do something to change the outcome or to, mm -hmm. and not like change God's set in stone outcome, but to elicit the one that God's like, hey, if you do this thing, great things are on the other on other side of it right because mm -hmm. that's kind of when you we branch into pat stedman in dimensions of consciousness a third mm -hmm. dimension consciousness in or an individual who's stuck in the third dimension of consciousness is not going to recognize hey i have the agency that i need to pursue self-improvement pursue self-betterment and really improve mm -hmm. their circumstances or improve their lives right it's only when you realize like, hey, I can change. Um, I can change the trajectory of my life. I am not a victim of my pro of problems that either have been created by me or created and I was stuck in. Recognizing mm -hmm. that I, I have the agency that I can change these things. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing that made it so easy. Ultimate, well, I say easy lightly. In retrospect, it was very easy to get through the canceling but one thing that did happen is i was uh dating a pretty in a, or a woman that i was very 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 much so liked and she ended up breaking up with me at the the day that like all the posts and everything went haywire 
And she said, oh, it's not because of the canceling. Then she didn't tell me exactly what it was specifically. So, mm. yes, it was harder weak. than I like. Yeah, I know it was. We only had dated for a few months, but it's whatever. Um, but I really liked her. That's the big point there. So mm-hmm. it was another, it was heartbreak. Not only did I lose my social life, not only did I lose my job, not only did I get kicked out of churches that I considered, you know, church family, uh, the mm-hmm. woman that I was already envisioning the rest of my life with was now like, hey, we're done. And I could, you know, yeah, whatever. Um, so I very easily could have allowed that to be a spiral downward. But mm-hmm. I've also been through enough stuff, right, that I've had the agency to see that for what it was. God is going to use it, especially considering the circumstances, right? Like it's not every day that you get kicked out of a church. Um, mm-hmm. It's not every day that, uh, yeah, yeah, just stuff like that. So for me, knowing that I, like I knew God allowed this to happen for a reason. At the end of the day, I need to do something and you know, make that reason worthwhile or pursue that reason, lean into that reason. I think that's a better way to phrase it. Mm-hmm. It's not that I created this re- reality. It's that I followed through with what God was, you know, here are the steps you need to take. You can take them or you may not take them. So I very easily could have been stuck way back there. And never reach this point where here I am on the Renaissance of Men podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people, a lot of people, and men especially, right? Like terrible things will happen. And that's one of the tricky parts. Dudes, we always want to act big and tough all the time. And then when shit hits the fan, sometimes it really hits the fan. And like yeah. it messes dudes up for a long time. Where they they repress their emotions, they don't work through it. They turn to drugs and they turn to vices. They ruin their relationships. They stop pursuing God. They stop pursuing loved ones. And instead of even trying to fix it, it's just woe is me. Why don't you see what I'm going through and why don't you lament with me? It's like, dude, mm-hmm. I did lament with you. I've been there, done that with you through this, through and through. When the fuck are you gonna get up off your knees? Well, I don't want to say get up off your knees and do something, but I do like that phrase. But when the fuck are you going to make something of yourself? Mm -hmm. You know, and I see that, especially with young guys. Um, And I I guess, shoot, I should make my age a little bit more publicly known on the Twitter version inside the Renaissance to let men know like, hey, young men, I'm doing a lot for myself. And I'm Mm -hmm. very much so I'm proud of what I've accomplished, but I 100% credit it to God because like I Mm -hmm. said, he laid the path and I leaned into it and it had God not Mm -hmm. put me where he wanted me. I want to be here. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so tie that back to like the young guys, right? Like they're very much so stuck in a cycle of, I hate my life, but they don't have either the consciousness, they don't have the agency or they don't have the know-how to, improve it right and every once in a while on twitter i i'll kind of joke about like um like i think i made a tweet and i want to start teasing this a little bit more to like just kind of broaden the impact of porn but it's the idea of like mental masturbation Hmm. um i was at i was at a friend's house on my way back from new york and i had mentioned like yeah i spend a lot of time um brainstorming like business ideas or like journaling 
and we mm-hmm. we're drinking a little bit of whiskey and he goes all right i was i'm buzzed enough now to ask this because i wasn't going to when i was sober and he's like for you is brainstorming mental masturbation and i was like and i thought about it for a second i was like okay sometimes yes most of the times no it's just a thought mm-hmm. an intriguing question but i raised that just kind of as a side anecdote for the ultimate point of there are a lot of men who are stuck in and when i say porn i'm not explicitly referring to pornography more so getting trapped in virtual escapism and pursuing Mm -hmm. a life that's on the other end of something that's unattainable so -hmm. there are a lot of dudes who are stuck in the loop of movie porn video game porn Mm self-deprecating humor porn or mm-hmm. then you'll have dudes, right, that they want to build their business. Um, and they're stuck in self, oh, this is another one, right? Self-improvement porn. Or oh, the self-help yeah, book porn. Yeah. yeah. I'm a work in progress, right? When are you going to, like, actually show us progress? Yeah, um, look at all the books I've read. Look at all the practices I do. You right. Know, cold showers and all that stuff. It's like, well, what do you have right. to really show for it, right? Yeah. Right. Because it comes at a point in time where you just got, you got to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's the, I think that's one thing that men, modern men need to work on as a whole. It's taking Mm -hmm. action. And I've always Mm -hmm. been a huge proponent of taking action. And that's one thing that I make sure to preach to all of my guys, right? And that's one of the hallmarks of my coaching is at the end of the day, what action are you going to take to overcome these issues? What are you going to do that's going to put you in a better position to start moving forward and to overcome these problems, to unearth the triggers that are causing the relapses, to dig out, you know, the skeleton, you know, to get the skeletons out of your closet, or find that root reason. Why? Why are you addicted to porn? What mm-hmm. what pain do you feel that's so strong, so intense, that you need to turn to something to completely shut your brain off and escape from it? Right. And like I've said prior, right, with the brain shutting down when you start watching porn, porn really is the perfect escapism, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it shuts your logical and rational thinking down. It's giving you a fuck ton of dopamine. Um, mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, you know, equivalent of a shot of heroin. Sure, it's not going to mm-hmm. feel like that, but equivalent. Um, and you're also, and they record porn in such a way so that it is addicting, right? Because I remember, mm-hmm. or, and even think of like like movies, TV shows, everything, every fast food, it's all structured in such a way that the creators can ask themselves, hmm, how can we give consumers as much dopamine as possible so they're addicted mm-hmm. to our product and keep coming back? Right. Um, like think fast food. You can eat a McDonald's quarter pounder in probably five to seven bites. Do you think you could mm-hmm. eat a normal quarter pound burger in five to seven bites? I sure hope you're not able to, you know, because they make the right. food so you can just eat it really, really quickly so that you can eat mm-hmm. more of it and get more addicted to it. Um, that's the tricky part with porn, especially with porn, right? Because every image, more dopamine. Um Think of movies. Movie scenes are always changing now. We don't have nearly as long scenes where it's like, wow, this is really boring. When are we going to see the action? It's like, here's the yeah. one angle, the next angle, the next angle, changing stuff. 
You know, everything is created in such a way to get people addicted and, and to keep them addicted to it. And this is even when I can branch off into the thought of, you know, cause I had this thought while I was on a walk. Um, and I have my phone on me while I walk, but only for the off chance there is an emergency. Not because I have an emergency, but because I'm called on in the instance of an emergency. Yes. So I have the phone on me, but like I realized like, and, I, and I, I, I do not listen to music. I do not listen to podcasts while I'm on walks because that is my time to be present in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I realized, I was like, you know, there are a lot of people who would not be able to come out here and not be on their phone while they're on this walk. And it made me start to think of how people are so addicted to just being constantly stimulated. But this stimulus, uh, whatever it may be, notifications, TV, food, drugs, porn, anything, not only are they addicted to the stimulus, but they're almost addicted to this constant feeling of being anxious. Mm -hmm. Right? There have been times where when my anxiety has been significantly worse. Um, and I will say like the healthy thought work that I practice that I now teach my clients and proper supplementation to help chemically balance my brain have been huge, huge in my journey of overcoming anxiety and stuff like that. But I realized that people are essentially addicted to being anxious, Mm -hmm. you know, because they ask themselves like, I don't feel anxious right now what's wrong as oh, opposed yeah. to I'm not anxious right now. Praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's, they're, they're in a, such a sad state that when something goes right, that's when it's normal. That's when they question. That just shows that the mm. depravity that they're stuck in is what's normalized. The anxiety, oh, the constant state of tension when that's mm-hmm. not happening. And there are people who will straight up, Things are going too well. Shit's going to hit the fan sometime soon. And like, yeah, I know there are some people who say that in a joking manner, but then there are also people who like legitimately are like, stuff's going too good. It's going to get bad soon. <sighs> and it's like, why would you even speak that self, that stuff over you? You know, right. why would you implant that in your conscious mind? You know, and I know I mentioned um, rewiring the subconscious. And that's mm-hmm. essentially what hypnotists do. So am I the world's only quit porn strategist and accidental hypnotist? You tell me. I might be. Um, might be. <laughs> I would be actually interested in learning, um, like becoming a hypnotist, side note. But that's one reason why I'm so adamant with my clients on practicing health, like the healthy thought work and using positive affirmations. Um, because one of the things that I'll teach them, right, is when you want to watch porn, the first thing you should do is actually affirm the fact that you want to watch porn. So state to yourself, I want Mm. to watch porn. And the reason why I do this, the reason why I tell them this is because, and we're going to, you know, circle back to kind of where we started off where I touched on the, you don't watch porn because you're hurt or horny. You watch porn because you're hurting. So mm-hmm. the desire to watch porn is not the desire to watch porn. It's the desire to escape or release emotional tension. So by mm-hmm. affirming, I want to watch porn, you are giving yourself permission to 
feel. And there are mm. so many dudes who do not give themselves permission to feel, which for me, I, I can't even fathom what that would be like to mm. live like. Well, there have been times I haven't allowed myself to feel. And let me tell you, man, I don't want to go back to those periods. Um, so that's the first step. I want to watch porn. And you're affirming the fact that there is a driving force behind that. And then you want to counter it. Yeah, I want to watch porn, but mm -hmm. I would rather have the energy and the confidence that I have right now. Because I know for myself, when I started to like really pay attention to my relapses, which is something I teach my clients on top of the healthy thought work, it's like learn from your relapses, identify the patterns. Because us humans, we are, we are creatures of habit. Our brain is mm -hmm. so efficient that it's always putting two and two together. So one thing I do with clients is I help them piece together those patterns. And the only reason I do that is because I realize for myself, hey, on the anywhere from the third to fifth day um, after relapse, I am most likely to relapse again. And what was mm -hmm. so interesting was it was the thought of let's watch porn or hey, it's been a while, let's watch porn that was enough for me to full send back into it. And I later realized the reason why was because I had this energy buildup that I would wrongfully seek out quote unquote feminine energy from the porn to counteract my masculine energy. I wanted to balance mm -hmm. it out. Um, so I would, but I'd balance it out wrongfully believing that, oh, I can look at, you know, tasteful nudes or what have you, to get that feminine energy, which was, you know, just a justification. The power of so rationalization. Then I would, right, right. And logical thought is starting to shut down when you start thinking about that stuff, man. That's why mm -hmm. it's so important to not only to, to speak all this stuff out loud. So when I tell my clients, say I want to watch porn, you say that out loud because you're, mm -hmm. I call it the sober mind versus the addict brain. The addict brain is what's addicted to porn. The sober mind is what wants to quit. And mm -hmm. I say my methods are not religious, but who's to say yeah. the attic brain isn't the flesh? Who's to right. say the sober who's mind isn't the new man? Mm -hmm. You know, that's for me to know and everyone else to make a very educated guess on whether or not that's true. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, anyways, so it's, yeah, I want to watch porn, but, and for me, my affirmation, but I already feel good and porn's not going to make me feel better. Why mm. would I ruin my energy with it? Mm -hmm. You know, and there are some people who um, they turn to porn because they they want to curve their energy, which is self-sabotage, which if I could cure self-sabotage, right. I would. And then you have other people that turn to it more explicitly through the circumstances of I am stressed, I am anxious, which I had done. Right. And then at that instance, it's like, yeah, I could watch porn, but it's not going to actually get rid of. It's not actually going to get rid of the anxiety. It's not actually going to get rid of the stress. Right. I need to do something to make that happen. Right. And the reason why I say speak this out loud is so that the sober mind, the logical part of your brain, can overpower the addict brain as it starts to gain control when you're either exposed to a visual trigger or when you start thinking about it. It's I literally hope my clients, and I want them and I tell them to, that you, your sober mind is speaking and it's getting power over the addict brain. You're strengthening it over that part of you so that the next time 
ideally you reach a point where you don't have to speak it out loud. And I've had clients reach that point. I mean, good grief, that's I reached that point. You know, all kinds of stuff, man. We we le, le, le. rewiring the subconscious is something that I'm glad I stumbled upon, and I'm glad to see that it mm-hmm. is more valid and legit than a lot of people um, would give it credit for. You know, and that's one thing mm-hmm. that's so interesting with like all with all these different Christian topics that we've touched on is there are a lot of, like, I can even envision the Christians in my head that would hear this and be like, is this guy really a Christian? Like, what's he talking about? Talking about energy yeah, and demons and rewiring the subconscious mind and sexual right. transmutation. And it's like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah. You know, it's like, I have a, mm-hmm. yeah. It's just, it's just interesting to me how there are people that, oh, I don't know about this guy because he talks about all this woohoo stuff. I'm like, well, I quit yeah. porn and now stuff isn't woohoo anymore. Right. Well, it's like you can, uh, I, I think that Christianity, as I've experienced it um, in most circumstances, has just this really boringly limited set of ideas that it's willing to explore. And, you know, it's when we're talking about rewiring the subconscious and relying on God and Jesus, like these aren't contradictory. Like you kind of do both. Like your your subconscious is real. It is powerful. And you can rewire it to react to different stimuli in different ways. You can do that consciously. And yet the the strength of that, you know, the strength to really follow follow through on that, to have faith in that, that it's for some higher purpose that comes from God. And so, you know, I, I find that Christianity's you know, Christianity's really willing to talk about the God and Jesus part, obviously the sort of new age world is really willing to talk about the, the psychology part of it, but, um, uh, or the psychology part of it isn't willing to talk about the religious part, but I, I've managed to assemble both inside my own mind along with energy. And I don't find these things as being contradictory at all. I don't find right. these, these, these ideas that I've picked up in my journeys, you know, around the world, literally and figuratively as being contradictory to any sort of like Christian dog doctrine. In fact, I find that it brings it to life. And so, you know, this is, I, I think, um, for, for men who hear this, who hear me and hear, you know, plenty of other men speak, it's like, oh, wow, this is a Christianity that I can actually relate to that isn't asking me to discard functional things, functional ideas, you know, that I've learned in my life because it's not biblical or it's not, it's not you know, quote unquote Christian. It's like, well, no, these, these tools, the notion of your subconscious, like there's nothing not biblical about that. You know what I mean? Like, this is the way the mind works. Right. You can observe your own mind and you can see it. You know, you're not, there's nothing, there's nothing weird about it. It's, it's what we all share. And so, you know, to be able to put these ideas together, to be able to, you know, for how to lead a productive life, like it just makes, it makes a ton of sense. And, and you're not asking men to counteract what they already know to, by abandoning it. It's like, no, you can put these things together it's just you have to be able to deal with the scorn of Christian churches that you know have this very limited idea of what religion needs to look like that ultimately isn't serving people versus you and me, which is like, no, we're we're primarily about serving people first, then propagating a dogma, you know, or or some sort of you know worldview that we grew up with. It's like, no, it's about actually creating, again, to use the word transformation in people. Truth creates transformation, and if you're not inviting in truth into your into your church or 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 into your client office or whatever, you're not going to create transformation. But I'm interested in creating transformation. So, and I think these ideas are not just useful, but proven to do it. And you need to think about things this way because it makes you a whole human being. Right. 
yeah, it's that God created the mind, the body, the soul, the spirit, all mm-hmm. that good stuff. And we need to be willing to explore it, but through the lens that God has provided or given to us to look through. Mm-hmm. Um, and one, like I have, I was listening to a friend's podcast and it was more, it was a little bit more business oriented, this one. And mm-hmm. they were talking about positive energy and negative energy. And the first mm-hmm. thing that went through my mind was all positive energy is from God. Negative energy is from Satan. And I think that's mm-hmm. the easiest way to, or that that's the easiest way to explain it to a Christian who may be a little hesitant with the whole energy thing, oh, because I know the energy. idea mm-hmm. of energy can be very um, Eastern or new age, probably more right. new age. But it's like, look, the good energy you feel is it can it very can, very much so can be connectedness to God. And mm-hmm. then the bad energy you feel can either it can either come directly from Satan or it can stem from other dark entities like demons and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I and I guess I just I like to break things down into the simplest form, right? Because I use Twitter. How else am I supposed to get people's attention if I can't explain it in 280 characters? Mm-hmm, um, that's right. But I, I was, but I, yeah, I was listening to that podcast and I was like, okay, so positive energy is, and they didn't say this, they just said positive and negative. Um, and for me, it was like, okay, positive is energy from God. So when I'm in a good mood, it's one one thing that, dude, and I cannot believe why I didn't do this, why I never was so conscious of this sooner is like for me signing on a new client is one of the best feelings in the world <clears throat> it's one of the best feelings in the world right a mm-hmm. um it's good for the business and then i'm working with someone i mean first and foremost a man has committed to changing his life and i have the honor and the privilege of overseeing that and guiding them through that process mm-hmm. and it's, it's such a great feeling but it was recently where I was like, wow, God, thank you so much for this. You know, because <laughs> we're it's all too easy for us to go to God in our trials and our tribulation. But when things go well, why don't we turn to God as much? You know, and, and that's one thing that mm-hmm. maybe it's almost kind of steadied the flow of good energy. It's like, I'll, I'll be like, God, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Like, praise Jesus, amen, hallelujah. You know, that's, that's yeah. maybe that steadies it. But in, in but, but yes, oh no, go on. Oh no, I was just going to say that, you know, for a lot of people, prayers, please, 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 right? For me, my prayers are all thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, to the point like, you know, a lot of men wrestling with God versus wrestling with demons. You know, I, I, I guess... I've done, I don't, I, I need to think about the statement more, but I think I've already done my wrestling with God. I don't think, I don't really feel the need to do it at this moment, let's say. And I've done plenty of it in the past. And I think I've already, I, at the moment, like I just know that I'm wrestling with my demons and I know that God is, is behind me with right. that. So that gives, gives me the place to say, thank you, thank you, thank you for all these incredible blessings that I have and may I continue to be worthy of them. I think that's a very different kind of prayer than than please, please, please. It just puts me in a different kind of place. 
you know, and, and that energy of gratitude, like that is God that is positive. And so I guess you're right. I think that is a really good way to introduce, you know, that these, some of these concepts. Right. Oh yeah. No, thank you. Um, yeah, I just, it's, it's definitely that I've been more conscious of, right. Is, is being more thankful, um, and recognizing I did not just sign on that new client because I created a funnel that helped them make the right decision. I that happened because God put us in alignment and would have revealed things to this individual that made it easier for them to say yes, to then work with mm-hmm. me, to then change their lives. Mm-hmm. And you know, and that can even be in the subconscious. And that's one reason why. So so the biggest reason why I don't have religion. Well, the two biggest reasons I don't have religion in my methods is because A, I did my market research. And from my own personal experience, the typical read your Bible and pray more did not help me quit porn. And I know there are some people that have powerful testimonies of God took away my porn addiction after years of it ruining my marriage. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus Mm -hmm. that that happened. But that did not happen Mm -hmm. for me. And I know Mm -hmm. there are many other Christian men who experience that same thing. And I've like, like I mentioned the pastor, I know he's glad I don't have religion in the methods because it is practical. It doesn't beat around the bush. It's quick. It's straight. It's easy to follow. It's right to the point and it gets people results. Um, but I also knew that as more, and this is also, and you can think the red pill more in like the, in the, um, relationship or more, maybe like red pill hookup PUA stuff, right. Is, Mm-hmm. realizing, oh, I probably shouldn't have an erectile dysfunction problem if I want to sleep around. And for dudes, right. they realize, okay, I do need to quit porn, but they're not going to get anything out of the Christian how to quit porn book. Or right. and you'll see it, right? Like if you Amazon quit porn eBooks or how to quit porn eBooks, most of them are written by pastors. And they will say in the description, yes, I mentioned scripture, but a non-religious person can get just as much out of this as a religious person. Mm -hmm. And then you go to the three-star reviews and they say, I'm an atheist. I took absolutely nothing out of this book. I still Mm. do not know how to quit porn. So I knew there was a need for men who are not religious and religious, that they want practical steps that will get them off of porn. Um, and the other reason, or well, even there's actually, there's multiple reasons. Another reason um, being that for myself, I could very easily justify porn addiction as the thorn in my side. And if it was mm-hmm. something that I struggled with, then guess what? I didn't have to cut it out completely. I was able to entertain porn longer than necessary purely because it was my struggle. And if it was my Mm. struggle, I could tell myself, Hey, I can, Oh, I vividly remember right before I was going to take a shower knew I shouldn't be doing it. Oh, this is my struggle. I'll be dealing with this for the rest of my life. (laughs) That's what you mean by embracing the struggle. Right. And thank God I did not, um, I mean, I spoke that over myself in that moment, but thank God that that did not. 
mean, it did a toll, absolutely, because I had to rework that, get that out of my subconscious. Um, and then the other reason I keep religion out of it is the most effective way to quit any addiction is to wean yourself off, right? And mm-hmm. how am I supposed to tell a Christian man to <sighs> wean yourself off of porn if that right. entails still watching it? <laughs> you know, it's the yeah. It's a, it's it's not it's it's pretty binary. It's not like there's not just like a little porn. You know what I mean? It's like right. You know, yeah. It's like is it is it a bad? It, like if you drink a light beer, is that succumbing to your alcoholism? It's like. I don't know, maybe you could make a case that, you know, there's some gray area there, but it's like, if you watch just a little bit of porn, like that's not weaning yourself off at all. That's really interesting. Actually, I hadn't thought about that. Right. There's a lot of nuance to it. There's a lot of nuance to it because the other tricky part with weaning yourself off of any substance is you can then justify a full-blown relapse as a part of the process of quitting. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of dudes who are like, oh, relapse is part of the process, but they don't take anything from that relapse. Which is why I tell them, hey, you need to learn. If you're if a relapse happens, why the hell aren't you learning from it? You know, mm-hmm. I tell people the reason why you can't quit porn is locked away in your relapse. So I have my relapse framework that breaks down what's going on in each um, portion of the relapse, the before, the during, and the after. What are you thinking during those stages? Because each stage reveals something new. And it was mm-hmm. when I started to study my relapses that and I think I touched on this a little bit prior too, but I didn't explicitly say this when I realized my favorite part about watching porn was not masturbating and having an orgasm to it. It was the feeling of arousal. You know, there are very few things that compare to the feeling of having a hard on as a man. That's a mm-hmm. really good position to be in. Because that's your, John Eldridge put it best. That's your strength swelling before you. Because um, mm-hmm. he was talking, yeah, I know, I know. It's it's yeah. very, um, it's a it's a very good, not metaphor, allegory. I can't remember. Maybe it is a metaphor. But it's a very literal, but also metaphorical way of saying that, yeah, an erection is your strength swelling before you. And in mm-hmm. the proper context, you're able to take your strength and give it to your wife. But with porn, mm-hmm. your strength is not going anywhere. You're just right. entertaining that momentary, that moment stuck in time without logic, without rationale. And you're able to get lost in that feeling. You know, because if you are a weak man and you know that and you're able to feel the fulfillment of strength through watching porn, then why do you need to go work out to become physically strong? Why do you need to go dive deeper into your relationships to become emotionally strong? Why do you need to spend time reading your Bible to become spiritually strong? Mm -hmm. Um, So there are many reasons why I keep religion out of my methods. Um, Part of it is also just so that like if any Christians are like, I'm like, look, my religions are not, or my methods are not religious. And part of it is just so I can avoid those headache discussions. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's it can be tricky for a Christian to actually like run themselves through that. But then they're also very appreciative that, hey, you delivered a clear-cut framework that does not tell me to do things that have not worked for me historically. Because like I said, it's very rare that those prayers are actually going to 
turn into full-on deliverance. So, mm-hmm. and like I said, for those that that has happened, amen, hallelujah, praise Jesus. For those that that doesn't happen, there are practical steps you can take that entail, and this is this is the really tricky part with the church and their handling of porn, is they don't see it as an actual addiction. Mm-hmm. And when you don't see it as an actual addiction, then you don't even think to treat it as an addiction, mm-hmm. which is why things like, you know, like I mentioned with other drugs, people wean themselves off of other drugs. Why not try that same approach with porn? Um, of course, you do want to make sure that you have a strategic approach to it. Otherwise, a relapse can just become too easy to justify. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and like think, you know, whenever a, whenever a pastor, whenever a Christian typically brings up porn, they're only going to list it or view it through the lens of lust. They're not going to see it as a lust addiction. They're just going to see it as something that you struggle with. It is a sin that you struggle with. And through that lens, then how is it any different than struggling with lying? How is it mm-hmm. any different with struggling with minor sins or whatnot? So they're mm-hmm. not given an actual framework to work through it as an addiction if they fundamentally do not believe or if they do not treat it like one. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also partially because like, you know, academia, the studies are torn. Is porn addiction real? Some say it is, some say it isn't. You know, I say to hell with most of academia at this point. I agree. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, every, every, every study has its bias. Why would the institutions that, you know, because if abstaining from porn truly does give you energetic benefits that improve your entire quality of life, right. why would the human powers at play want you to experience a good, fulfilling, healthy life? Mm-hmm. Why would they give you e- any reason to believe that porn is bad? Porn is porn is fine. Porn is healthy. No, no. Porn is evil. Porn is mm-hmm. evil. Um, and I guess kind of in a a final, maybe even wrapping up statement along that, right? Like mm-hmm. with guys that are struggling with porn. My advice is find someone that you can talk to and be truly honest with about your struggles. Let them know what you're going through. Have a heart to heart. Open up because A, that is going to help get rid of some of that buildup of negative emotional tension. But it's also going to show you that when someone else knows, it's not the end of the world. They're not going to see any differently. Some people might. Some people might hear you say, oh, you're, I'm addicted to porn. and I, I can't believe you're addicted to porn. That's so terrible. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Look, if you don't have anyone to talk to, talk to me about it. That's mm-hmm. one reason why dudes like working with me, right? David, I know you're not judgmental. I know you're not going to say anything about this that makes my shame or my guilt worse. Mm-hmm. So when you open up to someone, you're able to realize that the shame and guilt you feel from this struggle is it's honestly something that they've created on their own. Yes, it's wrong. Yes, you're partaking in an unknown evil to, for many people. But if you don't bring it to the light, then the, you, your shame, your guilt, that's on you, mm-hmm. right? And then you can take responsibility to work your way out of that. And then as far as like practical things to actually quit, 
I've mentioned multiple times, question your urges, ask yourself, why do I feel this way? And then reinforce with long-term gratification versus short-term gratification, which is also a lens to view sexual transmutation through. You can, quote-unquote, transmute your energy into porn, which is short-term gratification, or you can transmute your energy into uh, working on your business, pursuing healthy relationships, going to the gym, which is long-term gratification. Mm-hmm. And in quitting porn, you're not just getting rid of this terrible, terrible dopamine addiction and addiction to whatever else that can come through. You are training your brain to realize that I'm in this for the long run. My goals are long-term. I'm pursuing things that cannot be achieved within 30 minutes to an hour of watching videos online. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's where you get caught into like the self-help porn or anything where you're living in a fantasy. You're looking for instant results. And I've worked with people that quit really quickly because they need just a few mindset shifts. And then I've worked with dudes who they really need to take their time and understand what's going on. And they need to, for the most part, you know, not be so hard on themselves. Um, so question your urges. Extend grace to yourself, but not to the point where you're allowing it to make be an issue, just to the point where you're able to deal through those negative emotions so you can start making positive progress. Because here's the deal. Your addict brain, the part of you that's addicted to porn, does not care that you feel like garbage, that you feel like shit, that you mm. feel bad after a relapse. In fact, it's going to use those negative emotions to perpetuate more relapses. Because if that's the trigger in the first place and you feel that afterwards, you have successfully given yourself a new trigger for the addict brain to run with. Mm -hmm. So keep your long-term goals in mind and speak that out loud. Yeah, I could watch porn, but I want energy. I want confidence. I would rather use this buildup and channel it into something that's going to actually make me feel good not something that's going to be used for my detriment Mm -hmm. um and then i won't speak too much on like the actual how do you wean yourself off of porn you really need specific guidelines for that because it can just make the issue worse um but like if you're relapsing multiple times a day your goal is to get it down to one time a day Mm -hmm. if you're relapsing multiple times a week your goal is to get it down to one times per week Mm -hmm. Uh, so on and so forth an analogy that timothy regal uses and it's so good that i i'm not even gonna try to take it is if you're on a road trip and you've traveled 100 miles and you're 10 miles away from your destination after those 100 miles traveled and you pop a tire does that negate the fact that you traveled 100 miles right no so if you've gone a long time without porn and you relapse Does that relapse negate the progress that you made? Not at all. So learn from that relapse, figure out why it happened, and then apply those lessons and keep those on the forefront of your mind. Because if your logic, the logic shuts down and you're not reinforcing yourself with logic, then it's going to be really hard to apply those lessons, which is why accountability is so huge. Um, I tell my dudes before I sign them on, like, hey, I offer 24-7 accountability and there's a really good chance that I'm going to come off as a needy girlfriend because I'm going to double text you. I'm going to triple text you. Hmm. Uh, if I'm not hearing from you, then I'm going to make sure that you're hearing from me. Mm-hmm. So, cause accountability is huge. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, you know, they don't think it is, 
And that's because normal accountability partners. Oh, hey, man, I relapsed. Can you pray for me? That was how Mm. I used my accountability partners. Um, So I learned from my mistakes of not effectively using accountability partners to become the world's most effective accountability partner, to become the world's only quit porn strategist. Well, that's some awesome actionable advice actually that uh i'm very grateful i'm very grateful for that and i think my listeners will be as well and that, that seems like the perfect place to end it because i mean i i think anyone who would want to know more should work with you on this because i i know what a big problem this is it's not a problem for me anymore fortunately it has been and, and you know we didn't get to talk about this but it has been at, at years past many years ago and and uh, you know i can just to add in my own i guess bit of actual actual advice when i was baptized last year it completely changed my relationship to porn and masturbation entirely like instantaneously like right away it was apparent within the, with the very first like i want to say the very first night the feel the feeling was there that i lost all interest in it and not that i lost any sex drive it was just a, a, a recognition of like Oh wow! I don't ever want to do that again, and it was it was it was really powerful and really immediate. And I, I, I'm sure we could have lots of discussions ar- around that. But I know that many men haven't been fortunate enough to have that experience and haven't been fortunate enough to have that shift. And that you know, porn continues to be a, a huge problem for so many men, and, and and it is truly evil. And and so I want many men to listen to what you're saying, and and if they feel ashamed to admit that they have struggled with it or they do struggle with it and that they want to actually have the experience of being free with it. I, I think you've just made an incredible case that men should contact you about it. And, and I don't know, I can't think of anyone else that I would send them to. And I feel happy to say that I don't think there needs to be anyone else <laughs> to send them to. I mean, aside from the amount of hours in a day for one man to do the work. So thank you. Thank you, David. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Um, I love what I do. I love what you do. Um, it's been a great conversation, man. For sure. Had a lot of fun. Me too. Where can men go to find out more about you and what you do? That is a great question. Mm. So I'm most active on Twitter. Um, you can find me at, at King David QPS. That's a capital K on the King, capital D on the David, capital Q, capital P, capital S. And if you are going to send me a DM, please don't say, I need help quitting porn. If you want specific advice, ask me a specific question or a specific question, and I will do my absolute best to get back to you. If you are interested in my 31-day Quit Porn Mastery Program, which is one-on-one help from yours truly, then visit enroll.quitpornstrategies.com. And then you can fill out the little application. And if things work, then you'll be porn-free before you know it. So... I one day will have, you know, other social medias, but right now Twitter and Twitter will probably be my stomping grounds for the longest time. So yeah, Twitter and you can go to enroll.quitpornstrategies.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I hope lots of men, uh, hope lots of men hear this and end up, uh, end up messaging you. Uh, and I, I hope that you make yourself obsolete through all the good work that you do. Dude, I do too. I don't know how I'm going to burn the porn industry down, but Lord willing, I'm going to burn the porn industry down. One man at a time. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.